Hey everyone, this is Cameron from Renegade Animation on renegadepopculture.com. If you like what we do, please give us a like and a follow on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. We are everywhere. That way we can keep doing what we love, and that's trudging through all of the anime. And now, on with the show. What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Renegade Animation on the Renegade Pop Culture Podcast Network. My name is Mike. I'll be your captain for this evening. Joining me, as always, is the animation guru, Cameron. Howdy, howdy. And returning to the podcast, we've got Haley. Yo. And once again, we've got Teresa. And this is our second annual uh, spring anime recap. For this episode, we are covering everything in the action-adventure genre and the, and I kind of use this term loosely, comedy genre. But more on that later. For now, we've got a pretty big story to cover first. Something that you'll notice when we talk about these shows is that Funimation really no longer exists. It has been absorbed by Crunchyroll. So yeah, they're pretty much the only game in town. And also High Dive's here. How do we all feel about this? Mixed in general. I mean, granted, it's nice to have all anime in one spot as a consumer. Not happy with the uh, non-union stuff going on. Like a lot of the uproar of like, hey, if we're going to be just this one-stop anime destination, we should have union dubs. And for some reason, Crunchyroll is like, no, we're not going to do that. And it's like, why not? (laughs) And then there's this, uh, Haley, you spotted a lot of this. Would you like to explain some of the issues that you noticed while watching some of the shows? Yeah, of course. So I think my eternal issue has always been that none of these services ever work for me the way they're intended to. I think I say this every podcast that I'm on, where it's like, at some point, Funimation decides to play the thing I'm trying to watch with full Portuguese subtitles or something, and I can't switch it. So I was hoping that some of those kind of obvious, like, service-breaking bugs would be taken care of when they joined. Like, that would be, like, the minimum bar for me. It does seem like Crunchyroll's functioning better, but I've noticed that a lot of the actual subtitles, so not on a technical level, but the subtitles have been pretty dang poor this season. Like a lot of spelling mistakes. Doesn't seem like anything's really been QA'd. Like weird sentence structures, weird formatting. This is, High Dive has a lot of this too. And I'd say the worst that I watched of this was the executioner and her way of life. Like I'll talk about it a little more when we talk about that show, but none of it is like English. Like I remember growing up watching bootleg Naruto DVDs where Gara was called I love, and you had to pause the DVD to figure out what the hell was being said. It's not quite at that, but when you're paying 20 plus dollars for both of these services and you're getting C plus subtitles while watching things, especially since that hasn't really been an issue before with either of these services. It's pretty noticeable. And there's a part of me that's like, is this because they're like trying to push out as much as humanly possible in the wake of this merger? Like is Crunchyroll like, oh shit, now we're doing the subtitles for 40 shows as opposed to 20 and the the infrastructure is not there. I can't explain why why High Dive is struggling to do subtitles as well if that's the if that's the case. But 
it was pretty dang noticeable in a lot of shows. Yeah, uh, Teresa, what do you think? I think this is. I don't. I don't care that it's all in one place. I don't think what we're getting is better. I definitely think Funimation's interface was like a hundred percent better than Crunchyroll's. Every time, just like finding the dub, finding the subtitles, subtitles don't come on. I was like thoroughly. I was like, good thing this. I'm on my ninety day free trial, and I was like. You got 90 days like to improve this. But it's just disappointing. It's buggy and I don't know. I feel like it's it's just like I feel about Disney owning Fox. Like it's too much in one it's too much monopoly and it makes me like suspicious. So I think competition is good sometimes. Right, right. Um, not in a pure capitalism way, but like it makes them be better because they're competing with each other. Now they have less incentive and they're like, just look, glossing over issues clearly that Haley's finding. So that part, it's not great. It is helpful when you are watching like 20 anime that now I'm like, oh, the Crunchyroll ones are the high dive ones. Like that's great. Mm -hmm. But most people are consuming it in the way that we are and they probably just want their app to work. Yeah, a hundred percent. Like I said that the bar was basically at the floor for me. And Crunchyroll was functional for me in like a bug sense, but that doesn't mean the UI is good. They haven't changed anything since this merger. And I feel like if they're raising our subscription rates, like at least make the search a little better. Like it's crazy that I can search for something that had a new episode yesterday and it won't be on the new releases, but I have to put in the whole damn isekai ass title to get to it like it's that's absurd to me i've had that problem with uh crunchyroll and high dive where like unless you know the exact title that you're looking for they're not going to help you have to type out the entire thing and then the title that you're looking for will come up say rpg real estate took like five minutes to upload on my thing because it wouldn't come up unless i searched the whole thing and then i had to go through like 12 different rpg titles this is not a complex named show. This is no. not. It's RPG Real Estate. That is the whole name of the show. It's not an abbreviation for anything. No, I guess I haven't run into too many glitches at points. Uh, maybe it's just because I'm using my Amazon Fire Stick and maybe just the app works better there. I don't know. It's quite possible. Yeah, it just kind of sucks that Funimation is no longer around and then... And- there's also just the situation that a lot of dub actors are pointing out that Crunchyroll wants to go back to in-studio recording, but it's like, no, give them the option if they want to record from home, either due to like a health reason or, you know, they don't want to go out through COVID. It just frustrating. Like, just give them the option, give them the choice. But you're limiting your talent too by only offering roles to people who live in Texas. Like, that pretty much freezes out people in New York, L.A. Uh, Anywhere. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, it's not but- like any of these dubs have been bad. None of them sound like they were recorded underwater or anything. We're pretty good about being like, yeah, this dub is kind of off. But I don't, I cannot think of one that we've listened to or where it was recorded all over the country. And we've been like, no, yeah, they should have all been in the same room for that. We're living in a golden age of dubs, man. We're no longer in the 90s where it just sounds like, they got a Charlie Day sound alike to voice half the characters or something like that. And there's just so much good talent to limit by just doing in studio only recordings. Like, come on. I know some people prefer it, 
but come on. <laughs> now, as for the anime this year so far, so we went through winter 2022, and it was a slow one, had a few good ones, mostly just kind of unremarkable stuff. How are we feeling about spring 2022 so far? I'll say this. Some of the shows that we are going to be talking about at the start are not the best, but at least their problems are story-based and character-based. None of these shows are as bad as like X-Arm or what are some of the other like garbage tier shows we've talked about? Combatants, uh, Eden and Deities. Uh, oh, oh, what was that one? one? Oh, Fruit of Evolution. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> none, none are on like that level, which I'm very thankful for. Sure, in a perfect world, I would rather watch like 24 Spy X families, but... Um, We're never going to get that, especially with how the anime industry is running it, itself into the ground. Yeah, so I'll at least accept frustrating mediocrity over garbage tier. Uh, Haley, since this is your first time jumping back in for this year, uh, how are you feeling so far? Uh, th- so far, the season's not bad. Nothing has made me want to just, like, rage quit, which is incredible. Like, even, I think everything in this episode, even if it's, like, objectively not good, is at least interesting to talk about or interesting to think about. Like, we're going to talk about quite a few isekai-adjacent things where it's like it might not totally work, but there's at least more thought put into it than power fantasy dude is power fantasying all over the over this generic European kingdom place. Doesn't mean everything is good, but it's funny. The only real doozy I watched is the one we're going to be talking about next episode. So I was like, hey, you know what? Compared to some of the seasons where, like, the end is just a slog because you have to get through yaoi hands rape anime and whatever the fuck else was in that last season that was terrible i just remember the 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 gay supernatural fisting at this show that's the only thing i can remember nothing was it's like well you know i'm way happier to talk about something that's mediocre that at least had some ideas put into it and didn't quite get across the finish line than i am to just sit here and scream about something that just justifies Miyazaki saying anime is a mistake yeah (laughs) uh Teresa what do you think okay I will preface that I did not watch everything but I did watch uh seven shows and so far I'm pretty impressed I did skip a lot of the bad ones so you guys can tell me about those but I did feel like everything yeah was trying they were at least giving it like you know the good college try to be unique with the writing or in the premise and you know sometimes it worked. And then some of them were amazing where it was like ideas, like how do they even think of that? So I'm cautiously optimistic. Yeah. I think like I've seen all the shows besides one of them, which we'll talk about next episode. Well, as of recording this, I mean, and it's a really strong season because the really good shows are really good. This episode's not going to prove that point, but <laughs> hey, the uh, we do what we can when we want to talk about specific shows and such. And yeah, not everyone here watched everything. I did it to my detriment. Like <laughs> some of these are frustrating as heck to go through for multiple different reasons. Some of them, the same reason. Let's dive into it. So we will start with the action adventure category. We will begin our journey 
through the spring with the greatest demon lord is reborn as a typical nobody. Uh-huh, sure. This is based off of the novels and manga by Miyoshi Kato. It's directed by Mirai Minato. It's written by Machiko Yokote and produced by Silverlink and Blade. As the most powerful entity of all time, the demon lord Varvados, it's always a V, <laughs> thinks his life is a big fat snore. When he takes matters into his own hands and decides to reincarnate, he calibrates his magical strength to be perfectly average. But there is no way he could have predicted that everyone in the modern world would be weak as hell, which means he is totally overpowered once again. Reborn under the name Ard, he has ladies fawning over him, the royal family begging him to become the next king, and an ex-minion insisting on killing him? But Ard has a one-track mind, and he won't stop at anything to achieve his ultimate goal. You know, is this the fastest anime to lose its premise ever? Because you look at this show, and it's about a demon lord who's bored with being a ruler and being a super powerful god monster, and he just wants to be a nobody. He wants to just live a life of peace and mediocrity, wants to make friends, and then it, like, basically within the first episode, it reverts right back to isekai power fantasy boar fest Haley, what did you think yeah i think i think this one is extremely frustrating because it had a premise that was actually pretty intriguing the way it was presented the first episode like we get the sense in the first episode that the reason that the demon lord is a nobody in this new universe is because he is horrifically bad at interacting with human beings and that's fun that's different it's like I could excuse that he still had, like, weird powers from his demon life because the show was making a big point of being like, this kid has no clue what he's doing. Like, he's just berating the poor daughter of the mayor. He's trying to make friends by being as creepy as possible. Like, it's really, it actually is kind of fun in the beginning to see, like, that they've taken the term nobody and interpreted it to be like, hey, this loser is absolutely you. You want the power fantasy, but you don't. You know you don't have the social skills to pull this off. And that was interesting. I, uh, I liked that. Um, but then episode two comes around and brings us a time skip that skips basically all of the Demon Lord's character development in this new world, uh, which puts us straight into an isekai power fantasy. And it's lame. It sucks. Um, it also skips all the character development for the kind of interesting, feisty young girl that becomes his best friend and turns her into a cow-tit sex doll, um, which is yeah. annoying. And every next girl introduced is also got, well, when I say cow-tits, it's like when they have boobs that look like udders. It's like, it's so off-putting. Like, that's not how, it's not, it's a bad character design. It's like, women don't usually look like that. And if they do, they're signing up to get breast reduction surgery because that shit is painful. Um, right. But uh, there were some, I'm not going to pretend the first episode of this was some like amazing legendary new thing that kind of ended up pissing it away in episode two. Episode one had some serious problems too. Like the dude's name is Ard Meteor, which is just the most fucking ridiculous name I've ever heard in an anime. Like um, it also... Like, the whole point of the Demon Lord being reborn is so that he can avoid being the Demon Lord. 
So why was he reborn with all of his powers? Like, even though the first episode kind of presents an interesting idea where he doesn't have the social skills to be a nobody properly, he still has the ability to, like, fucking fly. And all these crazy spells and everything. So it's like, even from the beginning, even if you accept the very uh, stretched version of nobody that he's trying to be, he's still got all of these game-breaking powers that are going to attract attention to him. Uh, this show, I think this show has a tip first introduction with his teacher, if I'm remembering correctly. I don't think I, I think noted so. it, but I totally remember it. I totally remember that. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, the magic system is never explained. Like, none of the underpinnings of this world are ever explained. Like, people keep mentioning the demon lord in different contexts, so it's impossible to tell whether Ard was a good guy or a bad guy in his past life, <laughs> or whether or not people respect or hate the demon lord. Their magic system also seems to be, like, MLM rank-based, because at some point he becomes Pentagon wizard, and we're all supposed to be like, ooh, Pentagon wizard. I'm like, you've never explained anything about magic in this world. I don't understand what this means. Um... It sets up a harem pretty quickly, yeah. and both of both of the members of this harem so far kind of suck. Oh, um, they suck absolutely. Yeah, they they really they have no personalities besides no. tits and fighting over our potato lead, who, despite having promise in the first episode, regretfully regresses into potato dumb in episode two. A lot of my notes were just like boobs sigh. There's a lot of boobs in this show. Um, yeah, and it's not a well animated show either. Like, no, it looks fine. I think there was one joke I liked from this, like, and it was from the first episode. It's him, like, when he's by a tree and he's like, "How do I befriend the mayor's daughter? How do I do that?" And a monster comes up behind him, and he just snaps his fingers, and just the monster bursts into flames. He's like, mm-hmm. "I should try to listen to some of his advice." But then a bunch of monsters show up, and he just snaps his fingers again, and they all burn up. It's like, oh, that's a pretty decent joke. And at first, it's like the elf girl, the mayor's daughter, mm-hmm. had some personality and just like understandably rejected Ard's advances of trying to befriend him. Like the mm-hmm. picture I used for my editorial has like him showing off some flowers. He's like, I know these are your favorite. And she just scorches him. He's just like, yeah, no. Mm -hmm. honestly this show's biggest problem and now i'm reading my notes the teachers actually introduced crotch first not boob first so you know a new change of pace no yeah (laughs) i think the main problem is like none of the mechanics of what this is supposed to be make any sense so once you get into like the generic isekai-ness of it all it's just really confusing like it's hard to tell like who knows about reincarnation is reincarnation like widely known or is it just like people who associated with the demon lord how old was the demon lord when he decided to reincarnate? Is there a new demon lord? Because people talk about a current demon lord as if there is one, but it also seems like they're talking about Ard and not whoever the current demon lord is. And then it's like, with that, like, how old is his teacher, Olivia? How old is he? How old is the is the mayor's daughter who seems to also be a reincarnation of his past, like, lover, supporter, general, question mark? Like, yeah. how... How does the succubus fit in? What? Why are succubi treated like third-class citizens? Um, 
it's just a lot of stuff that could have been elaborated on or needs to be elaborated on to kind of make a lot of this stuff make sense just isn't it's and it's not even like they use video game shorthand for it and i'm like i don't play these games i don't know it's like they literally just don't explain it right so this show it's like i was willing to forgive it when it looked like it was going to be a fun child comedy about a kid learning how to talk to people but when it became just a bog standard isekai that you can see like 40 other places executed way better then it all kind of falls apart right uh mike what did you think i think i echo a lot of Haley's sentiments about episodes two and three just being the complete wasted potential that the show could have been if maybe it leaned more into the like comedic aspects that's something we haven't seen before or at least not as often. Whereas by episode two, you kind of know exactly where this is going. Like our potato protagonist is really just a blank slate who has all the powers, gets all the girls. And that's just not as interesting as what episode one set up. Honestly, that's about all I can say about this that hasn't really been said. Yeah, no, they try to set up a mystery angle to his past life kind of colliding with his current life. Because I, one of the teachers at the academy is or was a general to him in the past life. And that could have been kind of interesting alongside with just the stuff that was promised in episode one. But yeah, there's not much to talk about. It's just another boring izakai. Maybe not as boring as like the strongest sage with the weakest crest, but it's pretty much in that realm of super boring, but apparently from Crunchyroll is a super popular show because it's continuously up there for some reason, which apparently Yizakais are super popular in America. And so the reason we keep getting them is because American viewers won't stop watching them no matter how bad they get. So it's like, I don't know, like just stop watching it. Go watch Far Away Paladin or if you wanted another Isekai where it's about the main character just bamfing away and just wanting to live a simple life, you could just watch last year's I Max Out My Level by Killing uh, Slimes for 300 Years. At least that show basically promised and delivered with its cottage core, cute girl slice of life fantasy stuff that had actually good jokes and such and didn't devolve into too many anime tropes but yeah the greatest demon lord is reborn as a generic nobody izakai (laughs) but this next one probably would have been the worst if it actually didn't have things to like about it We're going to talk about Skeleton Knight in Another World. Content warning. A copious amount of sexual violence. And we're going to talk about how not to market your show. Yay! Anyway, this is based off of the novels and manga by Enki Haraki. It's directed by Katsumi Ono, written by Takeshi Kikuchi, and produced by Studio Kai and Hornets. A lot of co-collaborations between studios. Not a great sign, per se. 
One day, a gamer played video games until he fell asleep. And when he woke up, he found himself in the game world as a skeleton. Equipped with the powerful weapons and armor of his avatar, but stuck with its frightening skeletal appearance, Ark has to find a place for himself in this new fantastical land. All his hopes for a quiet life are dashed when he crosses paths with a beautiful elven warrior, setting him on a journey full of conflict and adventure. This show makes me mad. I was so frustrated with this show because, one, when this show aired, it had quite possibly the worst content warning ever. And I can't tell if it was like a glitch or someone just really did not think it through. Because within the first five freaking minutes of the first episode, there's attempted rape. And it's so maddening because they make you watch that whole sequence twice in one episode. That is nuts why the hell would you do that especially since the other half of this show is just goofy like silly over-the-top dumb isekai stuff it's not even like a typical power fantasy show because yes our main character is super strong but he actually has a personality he's kind of a big beefy dumb guy who just happens to be like a skeleton and the there's like a lot of fun visual gags with the skeleton smoking a cigar and who enjoys eating food, which I don't know how that works, but it's a funny visual gag. And then you watch the opening of the show and it's like, it's like you see Ark with the elf warrior woman and they're like on a cart, like avoiding a dragon. And then the, a fireball hits the cart. And then it turns into the knight having to carry the carts like with his own hands, like a old school Looney Tunes or Tex Avery cartoon. And they jump a golf. He shoots a fireball at the dragon, this huge explosion. The elf girl and this little fox thing are like struggling to hold on while this very popcorny power metal opening song is playing. And yet that's not really the whole tone of the show. It could be incredibly dark. And a lot of the sexual violence, it doesn't get as bad as episode one, but episode three has hints and just like oh, threats of it. And then episode five just does a little bit of sexual violence, but it's never as bad as episode one. But it, the fact that it's still there, that it's the only real conflict right now that's put into the show is this whole humans versus elves and the elves have this weird like trafficking conflict going on with their race that are constantly being sold as slaves by humans and such and then all of this is wrapped around this big old goofy skeleton guy who is not even like a creep like he looks away when someone's changing he is actually just like instead of being like oh wow this elf girl is hot he's more excited that he's like oh my gosh an elf this is awesome and then, like, later when you meet this, like, definitely conflicting attire uh, ninja cat girl, which, to be frank, is a better ninja than the ninja show we're going to be talking about. Uh, we'll get to that. It, it, you know, it's that whole thing. It's, like, it's a European fantasy realm, but apparently ninjas exist. Okay, whatever. Ugh. Very anime. 
And he's not even like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get a harem. Like they're all these characters have like personalities and interests and don't hate one another. And there are actually some very funny jokes. And it's just so maddening that I can recommend this show. I I have to interject really quick just to say I didn't watch this, but just kind of to speak to the general sloppiness of a lot of Crunchyroll stuff. Part of the problem with the sexual assaults that are being shown from my understanding reading was that the content warning for said sexual assaults was shown after they appeared in the episode. To be fair, they did fix it. They gave you like a five or six second wait before they show it. I mean, but still, it's like, I remember when I turned on my, I was watching it on my TV at my apartment and I turned it on and then it's just like, I see, like it all just happens at once. I was like, I had to pause this the episode just to look at the content warning and it was only there for like, three seconds it's like whoa okay oh jesus it sucked <laughs> it was really awful and yes they fixed it but still the the show didn't need to have this sexual violence to be the drama for this first half apparently it's over for now but i can't trust that this show won't dive back into something that's stupid again or it's just not handled well you can have dark topics with your shows, but you have to be super careful with some of them. And this show isn't. It's like it wants to be this part like Isekai power fantasy, but it also wants to be like Tao Teba Last Dungeon in terms of like, let's have fun with a stupidly powerful and equally dumb main character and such. Sorry, just this show. It makes me mad. The only reason it's not the worst one out of the action adventure is because it at least has something going for it. Mike, do you have anything else to add? I forgot to disclaim that I watched the dub for both this and The Greatest Demon Lord is Reborn as a Typical Nobody. And the highest compliment I can give to Skeleton Knight that hasn't been discussed already is the voice of our main character, Brandon Johnson, gives an excellent performance playing both the timid and excitable inner monologue. But when he's like playing the character, he's very loud and bombastic. It just works so well with the animation style that I wish tonally this show picked a lane. The reason why the sexual assault stands out like a sore thumb in the first and to a lesser degree third episode is because it really does feel like forcing a square peg in a round hole compared to the goofiness that we see more of in episode two. If the show was a little bit more tonally consistent, like it still won't be great. I don't think this is going to be like the next Konosuba or anything, but it would be a lot more palatable. Yeah, it's just like I was hoping for like a because it came off like it was going to be a Tao Teba Last Dungeon. And I really liked that show. It's actually out now on DVD and Blu-ray if you actually want to watch it. Nice. And anime is so bad at this. We're not in the late 80s, or early 90s era of edgelord nonsense. Cut it out already. And I don't want to hear some smarmy anime gatekeeper nonsense. It's just like, well, just watch something else. Or 
Well, it's a normie filter. No, <laughs> shut up. I am so sick of the anime community being full of such garbage individuals who don't care about the fact that like, hey, stuff like this show are going to push people away from anime. Not, It's not tantalizing. So, yeah. I wish this show was more appealing to talk about or to describe to you, Haley and Teresa, but it ain't. <laughs> it's just a bummer. But now... Let's go on to another show that has a premise that sounds more interesting than the in product. And the first high dive anime of the season. I'm quitting heroing. Such a clunky title. It's adapted from the light novels and manga by Quantum. It's directed by Yu Nobuta and Hisashi Ishii. It's written by Shingero Murakoshi and produced by EMT Square. When Demon Queen Echidna begins her invasion of the human realm, the people turn to the hero Leo Demonheart to protect them. Blessed with insurmountable power, Leo easily repels Echidna's army, thereby saving the world. But instead of gratitude or admiration, Leo is met with disdain and scorn from his fellow humans, who fear his overwhelming strength and believe that it may eventually cause humanity's demise. Banished from the kingdom he once called home, Leo wanders aimlessly throughout the land until one day he hears rumors of Echidna's efforts to rebuild her army. Hoping that demon kind might accept him as an ally, he returns to the demon queen's castle and offers Echidna his help. Naturally, Echidna, understandably, immediately rejects him. Still, not all hope is lost as Leo manages to convince Echidna's four generals to let him secretly work under their supervision. Donning the identity of a masked dark knight named Onyx, Leo solves the demon army's problems one by one, gradually improving the quality of life around the castle. Above all else, however, Leo wants to accomplish one goal, to learn why Echidna started the war in the first place. We have a banished from the heroes party situation here. It's a really cool premise, not quite executed in a great way or in a way that's like more underwhelming than oh this is just firing off on all cylinders Haley, what did you think yeah i think this is a really strong premise that's undercut by uh not being super executed well i think the biggest problem is that leo himself is kind of a muddled character it's never really clear if we're supposed to think that he's a full of himself asshole or if we're supposed to sympathize with him. And I don't think the narrative really knows what it wants to do with him either. Like he's an interesting character. He introduces himself as like the strongest dude who's ever lived. He had a party with him that in his own words, he said they sucked and they're suddenly vanished now. And when he returns from destroying the plans of the Queen Akinda, which is one of the other fucking dumbest names of the season. Like I just kept thinking she was like born of Knuckles, daughter of, sonic or whatever um <laughs> but the people disdain him and you can see why when he's explaining it like he's full of himself where's the rest of his party he defeated the demon queen like there's interesting stuff at play there and the first episode does give you more of a sense that like this dude has no idea how disliked he is even though he was banished from his kingdom for it and people have treated him like crap. They, there's a sense you get that he doesn't realize that he's a callous douche. 
But as the episodes go on, it's like sometimes he's obviously a callous douche, but he's also like, I am brilliant at operational work. And the narrative wants us to have sympathy and to be impressed with him when he fixes the problems of the demon realm. And it's like, yeah, okay. But it's just really hard to get a grasp on what the narrative wants us to think of him specifically. And that becomes a disadvantage, honestly. Outside of him, I think the show is really strongly done. The animation gets really whack at times. It's not, it doesn't have the biggest budget. But the characters are pretty consistent outside of the very overworked blonde mage. She's pretty consistent in being overworked, but not wanting to let go of anything that she has because she takes deep pride in what she's doing. And you get the sense that a lot of these people are still holding on to the failures that they had at the hands of Leo. And there's an interesting tension there. And But at the center of all this is this lead character who was made deliberately unlikable, but then we have to like him. It's awkwardly executed. The end of the second episode, I think, is like a really good illustration of it because he figures out how to relight the mana cauldrons without relying on the blonde mage. And this is genuinely impressive to her. This is genuinely impressive to everyone there. And he doesn't say it in the way that that dickbag was from that other show was talking about how they needed to grow more than two crops at once. Like, right. it's actually a really well done sequence where he's like, you know, I thought this might work. So I had it tested. Then I gave it to the little priestess and she took it and she tested it, it worked. And then she told the other priestesses and they were able to get it all functioning. It's like, this is a really cool scene. But it's immediately followed by him saying that, that he was also using his time to observe the blonde witch working to try and improve her productivity by like reassigning her stuff. And he says, literally, I was watching you and your cleavage work. And you're just like, how are we supposed to feel about this person? Like, it's thrown off and she's not happy about that line. And it's not played humorously. Who is Leo? Are we supposed to like Leo? Are we supposed to dislike Leo? Is Leo supposed to grow from this? Because so far, Leo's not growing. He is using his skills to help other people grow, which... It's fine if we had a sense that in the future he's going to be looking real long and hard at himself, but he's not. In episode three, I was just a clusterfuck. Like, I don't understand how Leo's plot was supposed to help the Beast Girl at all. Like, he's like, I will set up a series of challenges for her to face, and if she will understand teamwork, I'm like, okay, the easier way to do this would have been to just fake the illness, send her off on a weird quest, and then reorganize everything in the town while she's gone to show her how that would work. Then we get this really weird thing where the Beast Girl is like blasting through all of these challenges that are meant for multiple people by herself. That just makes Leo look like a fucking idiot. Yeah. And that doesn't help the issues the show already has with figuring out who Leo is and what Leo's point of view is and how strong or capable Leo is. It's not even a show where I can say that somebody else should have been the lead of the show because I don't think that's the problem. Like all the characters are pretty solid, but there's nobody who's like, wow, they're so freaking interesting and we're stuck with this potato because Leo's not really a potato. He's like actually got some character and life to him, which is unusual for these kinds of shows. There's compelling mysteries to this show. It's a general European fantasy setting, but it's unique in how it's portrayed and like how the political machinations of the world play into things. I think muddled is the best word for this show. Like there's definitely something here, but I don't know that I want to stick around to figure out if it's 
worth following up on. I also want to say that this was a show with some really screwed up subtitles. There were multiple instances where like the verbs and sentences were put before the actual subjects of the sentences. Ooh. There was and like repeated words. There was some very weird stuff in this one. And this one I know is a high dive one. And like this and executioner and her way of life were the the two high dive ones where I was like, oh, so it's not just Crunchyroll who's doing weird stuff with their subtitles right now. But barring that, overall, yeah, just muddled. Teresa, what did you think? Yeah, I would say this is one of the weaker ones that I watched. I thought the first episode was absolutely boring with the explanation of how he defeated them. And yeah, they showed him, but it's just like he, like Haley was saying, he just comes off as a know-it-all. And I'm like, I want to feel bad for you that you got kicked out of your kingdom, but which took 20, almost 20 minutes to get to that part. And I was like, I guess I wanted to know about the demon queen. I was like, where's she at? Like, I want to learn about everybody else in the show, but him, which means you have a problem in your show. I did like the other characters that he's, you know, defeated somehow. I like that they pointed out that you like burned down this historical site while you were like beating us, but you didn't offer to pay, you know, for them to recover it. And he just conveniently changed the subject. I thought that was pretty funny. I like the beast girl, although I don't like them playing up her stupidity in a way i was like just have a you're a terrible teacher have a conversation with her second episode was good until the cleavage joke i also caught that i also feel like it's really lopsided there's all these women that he has to teach i don't know it just started coming off a little misogynist and i was like he's kind of misogynistic he's super rude he wanted a kiss from her if he like did his duty, which is like, you know, a little sleazy. And I was like, okay, I don't get it. So I can't recommend it, but I definitely didn't find it like super offensive. It's in the whole scheme of anime. It was only lightly offensive because it was very short, those kind of mentions, but I definitely, I like the premise on paper and I like the other characters. So I maybe you can tell me if it got better but so far with the three I'm very like write him off the show and I could be I could be down the main character has to go back to his home planet he died going back to his home planet no we're gonna uh, mark Brandanowitz him it's gonna be great we'll bring in a new Leo yeah <laughs> Adam oh, Scott. I have some notes because I watched a few more episodes of this to see where it was going But uh, before we get to that, Mike, do you have anything else to add? Pretty much, I think we can all agree that the hook of this show is certainly better than the actual execution. And yeah, I was thinking about, was it Realist Hero, the one that had a similar premise as like the Genius Prince, but also just completely bungled it in execution? (laughs) Yeah. I, yeah. Is that the one with the guy telling them to plant multiple crops? Yes, yeah, that's, that's the one. That's the yeah. one. Okay, yeah, that's it. That's it. That's it. Yeah. As I was watching this, my mind just kept going back to that show. I'm like, wow, it's like they learned none of the lessons from that series and are just kind of making the same mistakes. Now, if it was intended that our protagonist was, you know, full of himself kind of an ass, a bit misogynistic. If that was like a character flaw that he had to overcome, that'd be one thing. But this show does a lot of tell, don't show with its world building. Like, we don't really see his life before he was exiled, nor do we really see like the evil 
side of Queen Echidna. That kind of makes it hard to really root for anyone in this series. I do like, in concept, the like the four generals. I think they all have moderately interesting personalities. The main anchor that weighs us down is Leo. Yeah, I think Leo is the weakest link of the whole show because... If he wasn't written to be such, like, the worst, the show would be, definitely be better. And even though this is a EMT Square-produced anime, the lolly factor is really kept to, like, the most minimal I've seen from them, which is nice. I mean, granted, the Beast Girl is, like, the one caveat because she's like, you beat me in a challenge, and now I'm going to be your wife. And it's like, uh, okay, uh this studio cannot get away from that kind of story structure, apparently. So I watched a few more episodes of this show. Leo starts getting slightly better, but the misogyny is still there for a lot of the times. And unfortunately, the sorceress succubus woman, the one with the blonde hair, gets a lot of the bad misogyny jokes Mm. because she's supposed to be a succubus. And a lot of people are like, well, is she really a succubus? And it's like, oh my God, I want to punch everyone in the face right now because of that. Those and that comments. sucks because she's like competent. She's a competent adult in an anime, which is just not easy to find. No. And that, that's what's so frustrating because everyone's expecting her to be like the typical porny succubus kind of character. And she's not. And that's bad, apparently. And uh, it's, she doesn't get a great amount of jokes or just writing except it's just like trying to kill leo within her office with a big explosive spell leo does get better with the interactions he actually does a lunch with the demon queen and does help the assassin general who is like super anti-social and it's just like i don't really know how to talk with people or have conversations Unfortunately, it has a one of those, uh, oh, it's a man wearing a dress gag kind of thing with the assassin character. It's not funny. It's really just sad because at first a lot of people online were like, so is that general like non-binary or something? And it's like, no, it's just a man in a dress gag. And it's like, yeah, but who's ready for the big dumb plot twist you hear about in episode six and seven? Oh, boy. Now, to be fair they do kind of badly hint at it. This isn't a pure fantasy show. This is a post-apocalyptic fantasy show. Dun, dun, what? Dun. <laughs> what? Wait, <Yes>. what? <laughs> so, you know why Leo is so strong? He's a mercenary android that was made to kill all the demons that oh, apparently... I... Yeah, Yeah, no, it's... <laughs> <laughs> this plot really comes out of nowhere How and i wish i was just that take five yeah like five like like six episodes and oh, that's too many. oh no that's way too many you gotta drop that at like episode two or something yeah <laughs> they talk about it and it's like so nonchalant and it's like wait what <laughs> and then they show that's him just- like jumping out of like an army helicopter, killing these demons and like the world's in ruin. And then I had to rewatch the first episode. Like, wait a minute, did they hint at this or something? Because you see like before the opening and before he goes to the demon 
castle and such. He's standing in ruin. And I was thinking like, oh, this is just a normal fantasy world. And it's like, no, those are modern day buildings. And I don't know how this twist works. I wish I could say it makes sense. It does not. It's one of the dumbest twists I've seen in an anime. And that's the only reason you would want to continue watching this show. Because otherwise, you can just watch something like, what was that one from last season, uh, Miss Koroitsu of the Monster Development Department? You could watch something like that where it's all about the villains and the work-life like setting and such. When you were talking about a twist, I was going, yeah, obviously the demon girl is actually like the good guy and the government that he was, <laughs> that Leo was working for is the bad guy. I was like, why is he talking so much about this damn twist? It's obvious. I wasn't prepared for this. oh i wouldn't have hit it if it was that obvious i would have just said like oh guess what the demon queen's not actually a bad person and the show does try to focus on that it they like episode four does focus on that aspect of her saying like i and we see little glimpses of that and I think the only joke I liked was the fact that he just waltzes into the Demon Lord's throne room with all the generals there. And he's just like, here, I have pamphlets and papers to show you why I would be good to work under you. And the queen's just like, yeah, no. And just keeps trying to burn him alive, even though he's, you know, invincible because he's a super robot, apparently. I wish it was just a guy helping an evil army reconstruct and make their lives better. It's not. <laughs> that was too complicated for no reason. Exactly. Like all these it's like light a novels. Twist out of Vivi in the middle of this just isekai. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it it's so weird. Like maybe it's just because I have a very narrow viewpoint of what light novels are. But it just seems like light novels are not all that great, except for like a few like Faraway Paladin and Sabikui Bisco. It's just, stop adapting everything. You don't need to adapt every light novel because it has a slight possibility of being popular. I hear no one talking about this show. The only reason people probably know about it is because Anime News Network had to cover it episode by episode because people voted for it. Those are my favorite things about every anime season. Just finding out what fucking nonsense someone ends up with and they slowly lose their minds trying to (laughs) review it. I like the Fruit of Evolution one where they're just like, nothing matters. Life is meaningless. Oh yeah, this episode sucked. Moving on. (laughs) I think it was Platinum and I think one of the reviews was literally an essay about something else entirely. (laughs) Like it's, they've dug their grave now. Every season they end up with one of these kinds of shows. But, you know, actually knowing the twist, yeah, retrospectively, the show is really, really dumb. Three episodes in, I would have been like, you know, this might be your thing. It's not terrible, but it's not great. But that twist, man, that's that's wild. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it makes the non-explanations of like the first couple episodes even worse because you expect it to be one thing and then, oh, this comes right the hell out of nowhere. Well, let's move on to a show that we all thought was supposed to be a like a its own original new light novel manga adaptation. 
but it ended up being a sequel to uh, The Grimoire of Zero, an anime that was released. 2017. We kind of contemplated and talked, like, do we talk about it? Do we not talk about it? But the fact that this show came off like its own thing, and this was very last minute, we're just going to talk about it. So this is based off of the novels and manga by Kakeru Kobashiri. It's the anime ad- adaptation is directed and writ- written by Satoshi Kuwabara and produced by Tezuka Pictures. Although he attends the Royal Magic Academy of the- in the Kingdom of Winyas, Sable has the worst grades in the entire school, as he has no memories of his time being- before attending the institution. When Headmaster Albus tasks him with a special training regimen in the South, Sable eagerly accepts it. Alongside the Dawn Witch, Rue Christasse, Holt, a human girl with antlers, and Cud, these names, a lizard beast fallen, Sable must establish a village of witches in a region where anti-witch sentiment remains strong. During their journey, the quartet avoids former members of the Dia Ignis Arbiters, a group of witch hunters notorious for murdering witches and civilians alike. Five years ago, their organization was disbanded and given amnesty with the end of the war between the church and the witches. But their members still linger and are ready to capture any mages they come across. Thankfully, with Rue's staff of Ludens, the Witch Eater, and Sable's unlimited supply of magic, the group may be able to accomplish their mission for Albus. If not, Sable's memories of magic in the academy will be taken away and he will be left with nothing to guide him to the silver-haired mage who first rescued him. This is a good show to be the bridge between the shows that didn't work to the shows that did work. Teresa, what did you think? I thought it was okay. I wasn't super impressed, but I thought it was all right. A little bit better than... Um, and I've seen the originals, and uh, even though I've seen the original, I was also confused. I was like, who's this? And then I started seeing people's names, and I was like... Oh, I see what you did there. So as you said in your write-up that it wasn't very clear, I think it gets clear, you know, as it goes. It starts out pretty heavy on witch hunters. And I find the original took you very slow from like, you're not used to this world. You don't know it. I'm thinking they just assume you've seen it. And you just know there's still a lot of explaining to do. Even as someone who knew what happened at the end, knows what the grimoire can do, knows what zero can do. I mean, obviously zero is like gonna pop up in a couple episodes. I, I cheated. I read ahead a little bit, but I definitely liked it. I'm drawn back into the world almost immediately. It makes me want to rewatch the first series and then come back in awesome awesome yeah this show did not do a good job with marketing itself as a sequel series i remember reading the anime news network opinions and impressions on it and it's like oh well i'm sure this is fine you can watch this on your own uh Haley, what did you think yeah so i had absolutely no idea that this was a uh sequel so i just went into this really blind there's Interesting thing about this is that on Crunchyroll in the summary, it doesn't even say that it's a sequel or didn't at the time I watched it. So I was very much like, oh, it's a witch and wizard Eastern European thing again. But I actually enjoyed this quite a bit with some caveats. I think the way that they spool out the information about this world is a bit haphazard. But knowing that this is a sequel makes that make a little more sense. 
And I think it gets better as it goes on about explaining the dynamics of this world. Like the first episode where it's kind of like, here's a magic school and there's like witches and uh, this guy just sucks at everything. Um, <laughs> but then we start spooling out like, oh, here are the beast fallen are not taken as seriously as humans or mages. And we get that shown to us, not necessarily told to us, which is interesting. Then we start learning about the kind of horrors that the human girl has gone through with the antlers. And that tells us more about the world. I'm like, okay, they just kind of, they didn't need to drop you right in. They needed like one more episode, I think, to kind of set up some of these dynamics, but it's not too bad. It's not like there's some in media res anime where it just drops you straight in the middle of things. And you're like, wait, wait, what? I don't understand what's happening at all. Especially right. with these kind of like fantasy video gamey ones. There's one we're going to talk about. I think where there are people literally using abbreviations for spells that are never explained. And I'm like, the fuck is this? This show isn't like that. Thank God. The other thing I feel like I need to bring up is that all of the women in this show are dressed like complete idiots. Like it's uh, if there was a worst, a worst clothing design award, I think it would go pretty hard to this show. Right. Like the Dawn, Witch is basically running around in a tiered, tablecloth that shows off her underwear the human girl is hort right yeah hort boobs are not proportional to anything that she's uh anything else she's wearing nope and there was i think it was the headmaster also kind of just had this ridic design not as bad as the other two that we follow the whole time and it's kind of funny because our male lead is also weirdly sexualized he's wearing like an off the shoulder sort of like sleep dress most yeah. of the time so i'm like well at least it's equal opportunity dumb shit but like it's still not great like there's something very off with the clothing for the women especially but most of these characters beyond that though i was pretty dang into this like they do a really good job of building up these characters i like how it actually takes the time to get us invested in the dynamic of all of these people. Like we understand why Port was trying to betray all of them. And we get like a really solid look into her character and really build that up. Well, like that I've, we've watched so many anime where stuff like that is done so poorly and she comes off as like a human being. Uh, so does Cud despite his, his name really well kind of, fleshed out too. Like the third episode is kind of when we start seeing Sabe and the Dawn Witch and Hort and Cut all kind of start meshing together as one traveling unit. And I appreciate that this anime is taking the time to actually set up all of these friendships and connections and whatnot in a way that makes sense and makes the bond they have make sense. Anime either is usually really dragging that shit out or rushing you through it, especially when you get into these fantasy type shows. It's like they slam everyone together at once and everyone's kind of character interactions come down to, you know, love interest, jealous girl, buff guy, a guy to make gay panic jokes about. But this show's not, is actually seems to be interested in telling a story. Knowing that this is a sequel, I'd love to see the first one because if it's kind of told in a similar manner, or has like similar forethought put into its story 
it's probably pretty good. With the caveat that if anime outfits piss you off, this is gonna piss you the fuck off. Like, this is like Momo in My Hero Academia, bad character design. Beyond that, this is a pretty damn good show. I was getting, like, Disgaea vibes, or like, uh, what are those... I forgot the name of the uh, this RPG franchise. It's like Altair or something like that. Like a lot of those, like yeah, third, like those third, like C grade RPG franchises that like Hyper Dimension Neptunia. Yeah, like those kind of video game RPG franchises, like the ones that have a very strong fan base but are never really like popular enough to like really focus on. Now, uh, Mike. You watched Grimoire of Zero, and what did your, like, after we all found out about this being a sequel series, what, how did your opinions change? Like, what did you think of this show overall first? And then, like, did it improve or did it stay the same when you found out about the original show and then watched the original season and such? Before I get into that, I'm going to defend Cameron's position on how very confusing the marketing is for this. First of all, the two shows were done by completely different studios. Dawn of the Witch was done by... Tazuka Productions. Yep. And Grimoire Zero was done by White Fox. Grimoire Zero is streaming on High Dive and I think also Amazon Prime, while Dawn of the Witch is on Crunchyroll. And here's where it gets even more confusing. Even though the dubs are by like two different distributors, two of the voice actors from... Grimoire of Zero, Amanda Lee and Jason Douglas, they actually reprise their roles for the sequel series, which I think is kind of cool. So at least for dub fans, there is a little bit more clear connection. As for what I thought about the series, so I watched Dawn of the Witch first. I went up to, at the time was the most recent episode, episode four, and I was genuinely getting into the you know, the history, the lore. I was enjoying the characters. I thought they had a very nice dynamic. They all had like interesting personalities. Something did feel off. Like it felt like I was kind of jumping into, it's like how most Western fans of Dragon Ball Z, like didn't realize that that was a sequel to a show, you know, that predates it. You kind of have that sensation going on. And then I watched the original Grimoire of Zero, and suddenly a lot of the, the details started to make sense. Like, in that show, you find out more about, like, the head of the Magic Academy, and you actually learn about, the, like, the main character, Zero, is the author of the book that the Dawn Witch, her whole goal is to meet the author of the Grimoire. In Grimoire of Zero, she is the main character. I think that's kind of cool. If you like most of us, we're not aware that Dawn of the Witch is a sequel. I would say it doesn't matter which order you watch them in. If you liked what you saw in Dawn of the Witch and are curious to learn more about the world, then you can go back and watch Grimoire of Zero and you'll certainly appreciate the sequel a lot more. Alrighty. No, um, I was really enjoying this show, mostly because, like, for one... Sable is not like the super OP, like boring potato protagonist. He's more like a walking, talking battery because <laughs> that's what he is. He's literally the item for everyone else to use. 
And I like that the show was building up on its world and its lore and just the politics of it all. It's why I really liked Faraway Paladin, because it took a lot of time to make sure you felt lived in this world and made sure you understood what was going on. I like the whole thing about wizard academies and how there are people out there who discriminate against witches. I really liked Cud, name aside, as a character. I, I kind of wanted him to be the main character because he's he has like all the more interesting backstory and Holt and Rue or the Dawn Witch. Yeah, they get the short end of the design stick. And golly, that first episode is so bad with its cinematography for Rue. Like, I, it's like the one show from like the fall 2020 lineup where it was just like a thigh shot every 45 seconds. There's like a crotch shot for Rue, maybe around the same time, maybe even less. And they try to pull that stunt of, oh, well, she's a thousand years old she just looks 12 and it's like no stop that no no it's a shame that it fumbles a little in some aspects but it's also a really visually stunning show it probably has some of the season's best visual looks and just the bright colors i loved all the scenes that took place in like the sunset all of the scenes in like in the forest i think in the fourth episode all really well done it's unfortunate though like, like again with the like i think it was either the third or the fourth episode they go, they do a whole uh, ba- uh bathing house gag it's full of the same terrible cheap jokes that you can see and it's like they almost try to lampshade it by like the guys being like okay you know what no rue you're not coming into this bathhouse room with us we're going to leave because this is bad you're disrespecting our boundaries and then they do another joke of just like, oh, they run into Holt while she was wearing a towel and, oh, whoops, the towel fell off. <laughs> it I do kind of love that when they're in the bathhouse, though, the two dudes are refreshingly, like, fine with each other and there's no real, like, crazy gay panic going on. There was a like, little was gay panic, a little, though. A little bit, but, like, the two men... Yeah, it was coming from Holtz. Like, the two men were just like, we are just trying to take a bath. Please, for the love of God, let us bathe. So it's like, okay, they tried. They got here a C plus. That's the Russell Crowe you tried award. Congrats. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, at least you attempted. And then when they're trying to talk about, like, how Sable can give his magic to everyone else... There was a little gay panic with Cud. Like, they were saying, like, maybe you have to kiss him. And Cud's like, ah, no, 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 no. It's like, oh, come on, dude. And it's like, well, how about you just hold hands? Fine. It's got a lot of good elements. I definitely want to check out Grimoire of Zero. But, yeah, not my favorite fantasy show. It's a shame. But let's talk about the best fantasy show and probably one of the best isekais the executioner and her way of life which is on high dive so it's based off of the novels and the manga by mato sato it's directed by yoshiki kawasaki it's written by shogo yasukawa and produced by jc staff which has like probably some of their best visual work in a while feels like it average student muto mitsuki suddenly finds himself transported to another realm summoned by the king of his world for the remarkable power he is supposed to possess. Muto is thrown out when it appears he lacks a special concept. 
moping about, he encounters a priestess named Menu, who explains that Japanese people like him are known as lost ones. And such individuals never fail to have special concepts. Okay, before we finish, if you have not checked this show out for some reason, watch the show, come back to this, and then we'll continue on. I'm going to assume that you have, so let's be continue. Menu elaborates that she is part of a church that helps abandoned lost ones integrate into society. She invites him to spend the night at her church, where the two can probe the nature of his ability. Eventually, they discover that Muto's special concept is actually incredibly powerful and dangerous. Here we go. You've been warned. But while Muto celebrates, Menu shows her true colors and stabs him in the head, killing him instantly. Menu's goal is not to assist Lost Ones. Rather, it is the opposite. Due to four infamous incidences where Lost Ones caused monumental damage, the church has ordered that Lost Ones all be assassinated as soon as they are found. With Muto eliminated, Menu must next dispatch the other Lost Ones summoned by the king, Akari Tokito. This show, either I didn't see what the actual plot was, or the marketing kept pretty much the whole twist on like behind a curtain and such because you watch the first maybe 15 minutes and it looks like it's going to be another boring generic izakai with another boring potato coon protagonist and then it pulls a talentless nana and has the menu kill the boy and then it goes into all this backstory about how it, pl- it pretty much plays with the concept of what if Isekai fantasy leads were actually the most dangerous thing to a fantasy world. And they do not shy away from that. The backstory when you see Menu's like hometown essentially just turned to ash is dark. Probably some of the darkest visuals you will see in this anime season. And Then she encounters Akari, who she's kind of bubbly. And then she's like, okay, kill her, done. Akari has a concept of basically time work, like time travel. She can reverse time to basically heal the wound and then is not aware of it. So then it turns into this journey of Menu and Akari journeying back to the main HQ of these priests so they can kill her properly but before i get into more of it uh teresa what did you think i thought it was good it was very interesting definitely in the first episode i was like dang she's cold i know it said executioner in the title i kind of should have saw that coming but i was like oh maybe the other people who like someone was going to execute and that's where the title came from no completely wrong i definitely liked it i definitely think there's potential there it was a little bumpier i would say in the second episode but i do think you know showing the factions showing them you know in their powers and you know kind of showing like what they've been fighting and things like that i thought that was good you're seeing kind of the nobles getting like their comeuppance i thought that was good of course the other Wolder had to talk about her boobs. So that when mm-hmm. that character went away, I was like, okay, well, bye, bye guy. <laughs> I did like how it joked about other 
isekais basically and how like oh we keep getting these humans coming here and messing things up and it really sure is a problem and like before I got hooked to that I was like yeah I bet it is a problem keeps happening so much I do like kind of the mystery of like how do they know each other like what's gonna go on I have guesses I'm sure uh Cameron probably knows some things I thought her little assistant was a little intense bordering on obnoxious but I was like maybe it's just a little anime like tone of humor that I'm I'm just not getting but I kind of like the jealousy that they're having of like the friendship and stuff so I would watch more awesome uh Haley what did you think about this I'm actually a bit more lukewarm on this a note I wrote is this is kill a pill with more clothes on and I think I stand by that the power of the twist in the first episode is something that the show hasn't been able to live up to since in my opinion I like how well drawn out that is if they mimic the terrible plot progression the seeming just kind of women falling from the sky to help potato leads out of nowhere the kind of rote storytelling of a lot of these isekai they do really well in that first half of that first episode so when this priestess stabs our the potato guy and whole scenario is revealed for what it really is that's really powerful and impressive but the next Half of the first episode of the next two episodes kind of undercut the power of that by kind of turning this into more of a... It's hard to do something that subverts anime tropes when you're also playing into other anime tropes. Like, Momo is is the possessive lesbian, and that's not a trope I like in anime. We've got a lot of them this season, too. So, And they're all varying shades of obnoxious. I think... There's one show we'll talk about where that character type actually kind of works. And they are trying to explore Momo with some sort of depth. She's a walking trope. She looks like Madoka and she's clingy like Hamura. She's not super well executed. And then Kari is like the airheaded lesbian, the dumbass lesbian. And it's like, I appreciate it going full hog on the, you know, isekai people into these worlds is destroying them is a really cool concept. But if you're going to be pointing out the flaws of these kinds of worlds, it's hard to take you seriously if you're indulging in the flaws of other anime worlds. And when I said kill a kill with more clothes, I truly mean it. Like, Akari is basically the brunette who was always, like, panty flashing in Kill a Kill. Like, I, I see almost no difference between these two characters. And in episode three, when they were trying to stop the train, and then she was, like, basically orgasming with her time powers, I was just like, yeah, this is... This is just not for me, I don't think. It got off to a bang. And like that, the first episode kind of reminds me of how much I was really into the first episode of uh, that My RPG Life is Shit or whatever that thing was called, where it was like the first episode was a really great dark comedy. And then by the third episode, it was like piss porn. This first episode's a really great subversion of anime tropes. And by the end, we're doing Demon Slayer on a train while a girl is having an orgasm and Volmo is fighting some random princess on the side of the street. And it's just like, this kind of lost itself very quickly, I feel like. Although I don't see this being a problem for people if, if they can set those kinds of things it's aside. It's, it is well written for what it is. Like, this isn't really rushed. I really like the conspiracy elements underpinning a lot of this universe. I think there's room for this to grow a lot and to kind of maybe develop out of the very tropey character relationships that they're setting up so far because as it stands right now this is not something I would want to continue watching and I was starting to get bored by the end of the third episode 
because I was like, I feel like I know where this is going. The priestess is falling in love with this bubble-headed woman for some reason. She has almost no personality besides food and bubblehead. And she's going to be questioning whether her upbringing makes sense anymore because now she's found love with this isekai in stranger. And Momo is going to throw wrenches into things because she's possessive of her senpai. And the princess is going to throw wrenches into things because she's a badass and needs... Okay, sorry. I want to talk about this princess because I think her plot is absolutely bonkers banana pants crazy. She is a knight of the realm as the youngest princess of this kingdom. Fine. Cool. That seems like something that would happen in a very battle-focused world. But her father, the king, is on trial for isekaiing people into the world. And she is leaving to try and question mark? Like, it's not really clear what she's trying to do. If she, It doesn't seem like she wants to clear her father's name. But she gets into a fight with Momo, who she accuses of being an executioner and killing these isekai people. Now, if she wants her father to be arrested, I understand this because they're removing the evidence of her father's wrongdoing. But it's not Uh necessarily clear that that's what she wants. So if that's not what she wants, why is she fighting these people and why does she care? Why does she just take a boat to somewhere else and just leave the story? Like, I'm sure that that gets explained better as the episode's gone because they clearly want her to be like a mysterious character. You don't know where her allegiance is. But... In that third episode, it's really confusing because I'm just like, it seems like she could achieve her goals better by just sitting her ass down on the train and doing nothing, regardless of what her goal is. Because if she's on the train, then she can see Akari and follow them. And if her goal is to just let all these Isekai people die, then if she sits on the train and does nothing, that just continues to happen. I think the twist is really great, but it's a great moment in a mediocre show that's kind of taking all its cues from another show that I don't particularly like. So there you go. I'll have more to say in a little bit. Mike, what did you think? Yeah, I actually really enjoyed this one. I understand a lot of the reservations that you have. It can get a little bit tropey in in those regards, but as someone who, especially since we started this podcast, has gotten very annoyed with the stereotypical power fantasy isekais it is kind of refreshing how this one does do something pretty radically different like i think that might be one of the best first episode twists since what was that one show that we watched i think last year i'll remember it once we stop recording but that was another one that had like the the initial premise was like something completely different than what the actual plot turned out to be that's something cool that I liked about this series where it gives you kind of like the false impression of this potato protagonist being the main character and then he's off in like you know halfway through the first episode I thought that was pretty cool I also think they do a really good job establishing like the magic system and then getting into you know the politics and conspiracy theory angle this is one of those shows I'm definitely going to try to see through to the end i'm hooked in into the world building of this yeah no it definitely starts out strong it kind of fumbles it's just so refreshing anytime you see an izakai either 
do something that's like competently made like again far away paladin where the main character isn't just an op boring potato and it's fun to see a show pull the twist and i think i like this more because it just makes a bunch of izakai fans mad that it's not a typical power fantasy but it's interesting because like most anime fans seem to accept and enjoy these boring power fantasy shows that are dime a dozen and aren't actually all that different from one another just a different like coat of paint most of the time and in fact here's this one show that's building up a very interesting world in action and trying to flip the genre on its head and they're like no i'm fine with it it's like you're what's wrong with the anime world man but it does indulge in a few of the meh tropes like yeah i don't know if it's a sundere or yandere the pink-haired one and i I don't really think she's either it's just possessive because she's not like oh i hate you then i love you and yandere is like i'm gonna stab you because i love you it's just like, like I've heard people call it the predatory lesbian, but I don't think that's right either for what this character is. It's just very possessive. Right, right. And yeah, the, the, the battle princess is very, just kind of an interesting puzzle in the situation of them. But yeah, when it starts to get a little trashy with the whole uh, relationship between our leads, it does like drag down a bit. It, it doesn't go into like talentless Nana territory where it, well, it almost- That's the show I was thinking of. Yeah, it doesn't go into that territory where it's like it's constantly interesting, but it it does get more interesting as the show goes on. Granted, it does hit the points that you kind of know are it's going to hit like our main character being like, are we the baddies? <laughs> that kind of thing. And yeah, it might not fully reach its potential, but the fact that we had to sit through a ton of mediocre stuff for this episode I'll take a pseudo clunky, but very interesting show than just another demon Lord reborn as a nobody. It's got a really cool magic system. I like that. I'd like the action's pretty good. JC staff, not always a reliable quality creator of like high quality animation, but when they hit, they hit. Yeah. So I also, the music in this is really good. Yeah, the like, music is great. Really, really good. No, I agree. And hopefully it makes the landing because if this show fumbles, it's going to be frustrating. <laughs> so we'll have to see how that goes. We can now talk about the one show everyone seems to love. And for once, the one show that everyone loves is worth the hype. Gee, Twisted Arnaldo- Wonderland. No. <laughs> No. <laughs> You're banished. Sorry. No, no. <laughs> You're gone. No. Uh, we're going to talk about Spy X Family. We, I mean, come on. We all knew this was going to be one of the best shows of the season. It's based off of the manga by Tatsuya Endo. It's directed and written by Kazuhiro Furuhashi. And it's a co-collaboration between Cloverworks and Wit Studios. I mean, come on. Those two studios would have to fumble hard to make that this combination of things bad. I think the whole uh, internet would have exploded. Anyway, corrupt politicians, frenzied nationalists, and other warmongering forces constantly jeopardize the thin veneer of peace between neighboring countries, Ostania and Westalis. 
In spite of their plots, renowned spy and master of disguise Twilight fulfills dangerous missions one after another in the hope that no child will have to experience the horrors of war. In the bustling Austanian city of Berlin, these names, Twilight dons the alias of Lloyd Forger, an esteemed psychiatrist. However, his true intention is to gather intelligence on prominent politician Donovan Desmond, who only appears rarely in public at his son's school, the prestigious Eden Academy. Enlisting the help of unmarried city hall clerk, Yor Briar, to act as his wife, and adopting the curious six-year-old orphan Anya as his daughter. Lloyd enacts his master plan. He will enroll Anya in Eden Academy, where Lloyd hopes she will excel and give him the opportunity to meet Donovan without arousing suspicion. Unfortunately for Lloyd, even a man of his talents has trouble playing the figure of a loving father and husband. And just like Lloyd is hiding his true identity, Yor, who is an underground assassin known as Thorn Princess, and Anya, an esper who can read people's minds, have no plans to disclose their own secrets either. Although this picture-perfect family is founded on deception, the forgers gradually come to understand that the love they share for one another trumps all else. So, uh, yeah, like I said, this anime is worth the hype. Just a very super charming, funny, and action-packed, just all-quadrant anime. That actually seems more approachable than most anime, despite this whole premise. So, uh, Haley, what did you think? Yeah, this is, I'd say, of everything I've watched, far and away the best thing of the season. Like, this looks good. It's well-written. It's extremely funny. The characters are amazing. This has an actually funny boob joke in it, in episode three. Like, one that actually made me laugh out loud. Which is like in an anime to have a funny boob joke, like oh my god, I don't think that's ever happened ever. Or, honestly, yeah, it's it's you'd rare have, when a boob. You'd joke have to is go back to the eighties. Fun- yeah, it's hard to say much about this besides Anya is the best, and this is really well done. Because my rule of thumb is when I look at something and I have very few notes, either the show was so boring it put me to sleep, or it was so good that I didn't want to look away to take notes. And I didn't want to look away from this to take notes. This is this is 100% going to go mainstream in the same way that My Hero Academia did. It's very anime, but it's got an extremely intelligent Western sensibility that I think will appeal to a lot of people. The only thing I can say against it is that these fucking names, holy shit. Like... <laughs> Lloyd Forger. Lloyd is the most irritating because that is an actual name and it's spelled L-O-I-D like he's fucking Hatsune Miku out here about to do Vocaloid dances. Like your, I can at least be like, that that sounds like somebody trying to come up with an English name and just not having a grasp on the language. Anya, that's a common name. Lloyd spelled like that, I just... No. Sure. (laughs) The most unrealistic thing about a show with a psychic child. No. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. The most unrealistic thing is that everywhere he went, someone would be like, "Did your what happened with your name there? Like, uh, did it mean Lloyd? Like the actual name Lloyd?" Other than that, though, like, there's just really not a whole lot to talk about. It's just that good. Like, don't want to really spoil anything for people who haven't watched it yet. But the animation's really gorgeous and fluid. The characters are really well done. There's a solid sense of build to all of this, and. I think most critically for a shonen type sh- show, 
it's very easy to see where this is going to build and grow and remain interesting. It's not something where I look at it and go, this could fall into a rut pretty quick with this premise. It's definitely not one note. There's a lot going on here. The end of the third episode, Anya just got into the damn school. They're taking their time. And there's a little shithead looking kid in the in the ending theme that I really want to see that we haven't been introduced to yet. He looks like he'll be fun. My only other note is the opening theme is fantastic. Oh, yeah. Um, a lot of times... I know I occasionally bring, I do follow J-pop, so I do kind of occasionally bring this stuff up, but the opening theme is by Official Hige Dondism. And if someone has spent the money to get Official Hige Dondism, you know that they want this to be a big hit. Their last- Oh, uh, their wait last, a minute. Uh, yeah, I know, right? Wait a so minute. Last, wait, wait. This is the same band that did the Tokyo Revengers opening. Yes, oh, really? it is. I was just about to say that. Like their last opening theme was the Tokyo Revengers one. They're, they're a very big deal band. So it's kind of like if you hear a Kenshi Inezu theme or a Hikaru Itata theme, you're like, oh, they poured a lot into this and this is going to be a big ass deal. The ending theme is also very, very good. I did not write who sang that song, but it's also very fantastic. And I think it's also another big name, but I just can't, I did not write it down and I can't remember it, but just wanted to highlight that to kind of give you a sense of like, this is the event of the season. And this season actually did pretty good because usually when you get these event animes, everything else around it, with the exception of a couple of things, is just garbage because everyone's like, well, pack it in. We can't compete with, you know, Cowboy Bats. Bebop or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, uh, that's about it. It's great. Go, go watch uh, it. I think it's on like everything. The ending theme was done by Gen Hoshino. Um, oh, yeah. That man has the longest running Billboard Japan number one hit of all time. Nice. Uh, Teresa, what did you think about this show? Yeah, I loved it. Uh, This is the one I watched first, so it got me pumped for the season. The opening, especially when it goes into kind of the abstract animation of like them at the tables together, I just like as a family, I just I I loved it. It was like chef's kiss. It's just beautiful. Anya is the most adorable little kid. When they find her in the orphanage, I was like this little girl. And I just love that the orphanage was like, we. she keeps getting brought back. And I love that it shows that Lloyd has the heart, even though he, he loves killing people. I think the good dynamic there, she's like the sunshine, he's the grumpy, and he's going to come around to her. So I just thought that was great. Really love the, the mom, as we'll say. I loved her coworkers describe her and then she's like super ruthless and always thinking about oh I don't want to get blood stains on these clothes and she's worrying about such small things so I just really love the inner thoughts I didn't think that was something I would be liking because in contrast with like kind of explaining or talking about something you would think is boring but it just really shows all of their characters and it's it's just really good writing and yeah it is everywhere it's on, I watched it on Hulu and I was like yes I prefer Hulu's interface so I was like yes thank you it suggested to me and I was like certainly so yeah I can't wait I, I was actually like I could just keep watching this and not watch any of the other shows but I was like I have to do shows and I went straight into quitting heroing and I was like that was a mistake. Um, so <laughs> so I'm, I'm very glad this exists. It gives me, you know, faith in the season. No, I understand that. I've I've done that before where it's like, well, this one looks not great. And then I watch it and it's like, oh my goodness, that was amazing. And then I watch the next one. Oh, Mike, what did you think? This anime 
is the reason why I wanted to cover the action adventure genre first. Not just because this is like the big hit that everyone's going to be talking about. It genuinely is that good. It checks off like all of the boxes. Obviously with Cloverworks and Wit Studios, the animation is going to be incredible. The opening sequence is awesome. Very colorful. I love like the music, even like the English voice cast. They have like some really great talent. You have Alex Oregon who plays Twilight. Megan Shipman is Anya and she is just the most precious thing ever. And then you have Natalie Van Sistine playing Yor. This is a really great dub. All of these dubs have been really good. There's, I haven't had any like real issues with any of them the story is very fascinating it's it's kind of like mr and mrs smith but with like a (laughs) kind of sort of supernatural element with anya being the telepath of the group there's a lot of political intrigue the action is really well done this just has everything so if you haven't seen it yet it's everywhere this show is so good that people who generally don't like anime even say hey i like this one that is proof that a show has really crossed over into the mainstream. Yeah, I mean, like, I knew the manga was super popular, but I'm, I'm always kind of, like, hesitant because, you know, what's usually popular within, like, either it's a light novel or manga, it doesn't always equate to either good adaptations or just the hype being worth it. Like, I know it gets better, but Jobless Reincarnation, no, I don't think it's worth the hype. Spy X Family and like something like Ranking of Kings and like Comey Can't Communicate are worth the hype. This show is just great. Anya's like little facial expressions are just going to be meme worthy for probably a good decade. I think her facial expressions give her like the most internet presence than most anime. And I do like the dry sense of humor from Lloyd. How he's like, okay, through this mock interview, what do you do on your days off? And then Anya will be like, we knock people down and beat the tar out of them. Okay, just pretend you didn't see that. <laughs> <laughs> and they do show off the tension and it gets really gripping about like how they get enrolled into the academy. And Lloyd pretty much almost breaks character and almost kills someone in front of everyone. Just like because he's like, got to stay to the mission, got to stay to the mission. Okay, screw it. <laughs> but he saves it. And of course, You've probably seen the gif around of Anya punching a kid and it just looks great. The animation just, again, when you get Cloverworks and Wit Studios, it's going to look great. Though, why, out of all the shows to get controversy, why did Spy X Family have to get like one of the dumbest non-troversies around? Oh God, I I remember this. Someone on TikTok was saying like when, like during that sequence where lloyd picks up anya and because he's excited and he's happy that she made it into the school she passed the test well she passed the test to get into the enrollment process of going into this academy and someone was like man they're sexualizing this kid and it's like what the hell tiktok you are the worst it's like honey you haven't seen anything yet we're about to talk about three shows in a row that have disgusting yes like what is why what what, you you know what if you see him being like oh my gosh Anya I am so proud of you and lifting him up with joy if you see that as sexual 
that's your problem. That's on you. I don't know how you can see that. Like, yeah, that's like calling Annie, the musical Annie, pro pedophilia. Like, dude, what the uh, fuck are you even talking about? That's looking for trouble. That's uh, terminally yeah. online is what that is. Yeah, terminally online. And I get it that it, I don't know how people say it's like how, it's like that one thing with, with like because you think, oh, man, TikTok just went full stupid. Well, that can't possibly happen in such a short amount of time. It happened again when they're like, so the creator of Naruto aged up Naruto so he could get married to Hinata and they can have kids. And it's like, yeah, that's what you do when you have adult characters. You write them to get married if you want them to. And then they have kids. Don't tell anyone about Dragon Ball Z. Don't let anyone know. Our secret. Yeah. (laughs) What is wrong with some of y'all? Like, oh my (laughs) goodness. Media literacy is dead. (laughs) Stay in school, children. Please stay in school for the love of gravy. But yeah, back to Spy X Family. Just good comedy, great action. The the dynamics are great. And even though they're trying to hide their real professions from one, one another, like they do start becoming a real family and just... The late episodes so far are great. I think everyone will love this show. I'm definitely going to show this show off to like people who don't normally watch anime because it's, again, it's one of those four quadrant super appealing shows that anyone can get into. And yes, Anya has joined the main character from Ranking of Kings and Kotoro from Kotoro Lives Alone as like, everyone must protect his child at all costs. So, you know, we talked about a great show. Wasn't that fun? You know, talking about stuff we love. Who doesn't like talking about that? Sorry, we're talking about comedy now. and We're about to go through three straight dumpster fires. Let's talk about them against our own better judgment. Miss Shachiku and the Little Baby Ghosts. The original translated title was much, much worse. This is based off of the manga by Imari Arita. It's directed by Ku Nabara, written by Hitomi Mieno, a.k.a. Deco Akao. Once again. Guess who's back? Back again. again. Deco's back. California. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think this is like the one show that she's doing this season. I wish it was a better show. <laughs> And it's produced by Project Number 9. Fushihara-san spends most of her time stuck in front of her office computer, regularly toiling at overtime like a corporate slave. Even after her co-workers have gone home, noticing her unhealthy situation, a ghost in the form of a little girl rumored to haunt the building takes it upon herself to scare Fushihara-san out of the office in order to relieve her stress. We will talk about all the red flags in a moment. However, the ghost's overwhelming cuteness only does the opposite and instead motivates Fushihara-san to work even more. Even so, the presence of this adorable soul will only bring more positivity and happiness to Fushihara-san's life as the two spend more time together. Or the ultimate red flag anime. Or at least one of them. Yeah, I get this was meant to be like that Kitsune Fox anime where it was all about like, hey, don't commit your life to working in a corporate world make sure to live your own life and love what you're doing this is not that kind of show the way to do it Haley, what did you think this is creepy and strange and boring i only watched one episode of this because you know life is too short like it starts off with an interesting vibe like i was sitting there thinking oh 
this would be really interesting if it turned into like the well-executed version of Meiruko-chan. And I think I cursed myself by thinking that because it immediately went downhill and never recovered. I think the biggest problem with these, this show in particular and shows like it is that it's a very fine line between showing cuteness and fetishizing cuteness. We just talked about Spy X Family. Anya's very cute, but it doesn't feel like the show wants me to be in love as an adult woman with Anya. This show makes me feel like the goal is for me to fall in love with toddler ghosts. And that is not okay. It's gross is what it is. It's gross on a lot of levels, honestly. Like the fact that the ghost is encouraging our lead to work herself to death without meaning to is like, well, that's fucked up regardless. Like this is, this is just a bad premise. But we get scenes of like this toddler ghost giving our lead who is mid 20s, late 20s. I mean, obviously, there's no age gap that would be okay with a toddler, but I just want to emphasize that there is, this is a wide gap of years on these people. She gives her a back rub at one point that is very strange, and the lead reactions to this cute ghost girl are very, very inappropriate. Like, if I saw someone having these reactions to having a child in their lap or whatever, I would be calling some form of child protective services or police or something or punching them myself honestly that's just the gross oily film all over this what it also has going for it is that it's just completely devoid of any sort of propulsive action the first episode is a rashomon like retelling of a very boring incident in the office where this the woman meets this toddler ghost Shown like two and a half times with no real jokes or plot progression. I have a real big problem with shows that I would kind of just widely bucket as cute girls doing cute things. I feel like they have become very, either very fetishy or very just excruciatingly boring. Like Super Cub just lingers in my memory as one of the worst things I've ever seen. And this is pretty up there with Super Cub in a different way. But I get that some people like to relax to these kinds of shows. All of the creepiness of this show nonwithstanding. I understand that people do enjoy watching shows with kind of cute moe blobs just chilling out and encouraging each other. Like, sure, that's a, there's an audience for that. But when that's not your thing, there has to be something else there. There just has to be. And there's something else in this case is fetishizing toddlers. So, like, just fuck this thing. Honestly, this is... We're going to talk about something I think is worse next. But this is pretty goddamn bad. Yeah, no, this is exactly the kind of show that people think of when it's like, oh, is anime just dumb, teeth-rottening cuteness? This is that kind of show, except with the underlying just creepy factor under it mike do you have anything to say okay so spoiler alert i have similar complaints for the first three comedies and they all concern the overdose of kuwaii but this one pretty much pissed me off the most 
because it's not necessarily a workplace comedy. It does take place primarily in the big generic corporate office. If you know how much I've been dreading my day job lately, you'll understand that I just had zero patience for a lot of what happens in this show. The office that they're in is, it's just a setting for nothing. People say that like, oh, Seinfeld is a show about nothing. That show, Seinfeld has more substance than this. This is, Haley kind of already demonstrated the specific red flags with the show. I don't have too much else to add on that front. Just no, I do not recommend this in the slightest. No, it's like, what's odd about this show is that some production committee obviously wants this to be a big franchise kind of thing. Not like a Naruto Jujitsu Kaisen kind of franchising but a very merchandise heavy franchise like a Doraemon uh no just like the designs of the ghost characters are what's really supposed to be turned into like dolls or models or keychains and such and it's also like not a bad looking show it's got a nice little watercolor like painting style to like everyone and Again, I understand why this show was made. Work culture in general is brutal, unforgiving, and extremely tiring. You need to have something that is just like, hey, you know what? You're doing great. It's okay to leave work early instead of feeling like you need to stay as late as you can and such. Even though I think the much better version of that is aggressive to a degree <laughs> uh, i mean i haven't seen the most recent season but still and this could have the most appealing designs the best animation and the best messages if it wasn't so darn boring there is nothing interesting about this show nothing about interesting about the characters and it's so slow you stay with three episodes with this one ghost girl and then by episode four, you are introduced to the cat girl. And then these other two, it's just so boring. This might be the worst one. And good Lord, this alternative title, the synonyms. Miss Corporate Slave wants to be healed by a lolly spirit. I, Red ugh. flag. Bring, bring out the clip from Ren and Stimpy of the walrus going, call the police. Samson, <laughs> we'll see you now. Just good lord. Oy. It's just boring. It's boring, sugary, sweet nonsense. And it's not good nonsense. I feel bad because it's like, it's just trying to be cute and telling you not to work yourself to death, but it just doesn't work. At least we can count on Cloverworks to put out another good amp. No. I don't know what's wrong with Cloverworks these past two years. I think they're doing too much. Because we're going to be talking about In the Heart of Konoichi Supaki. Content warning. The show sexualizes underage characters. Not children, but tweens. We'll get into that. So this is by the creator of Teasing Master Tagaki-san, which is a very popular tween rom-com anime. And the creator is Sorichiro Yamamoto. The adaptation is directed by Takudai Kakuchi. It's written by Konomi Shugo, and it's produced by like we said, Cloverworks. The isolationist Akane clan, composed of an all-girls body, mainly consisting of young Kunoichi in training, has a code 
to which they all must adhere. As men are dangerous beings, interacting with them is forbidden. Konoichi Tsubaki, the leader of the dog squad, hmm. <laughs> is an excellent trainee with a promising future, but she has started to experience a strange feeling in her heart whenever the subject of boys is brought up. Okay, so once again, a coming-of-age tween comedy. The other creator's work is actually pretty charming and not super creepy. I have no idea why this one got super creepy super fast. And it is also one of those anime this season that has an incredibly dumb plot explanation or a plot twist. Yeah, it's not good. It's obnoxious. It's creepy with all these designs. Haley, what do you think? Yeah, it's not good. I think we should retroactively punish Naruto for popularizing, like, all of these character designs, by the way. Like, fishnets is just not for everyday wear without clothes on top of it. Like, fuck you, Onko. <laughs> With that out of the way, this show, show definitely sexualizes children in a creepy way. But I want to really talk about how goddamn confusing the plot of this show is. And I don't mean confusing like it takes a lot of twists and turns. I mean confusing like the underpinnings of this universe make no sense. So we have this mysterious like summer camp full of tiny bobblehead ninja girls. And they are not allowed to talk to men because men are evil and their teachers enforce that. And there are multiple grown ass women teachers. None of these bobblehead girls have seen men and they hate men. And you know, they hate men because they repeat the same lines about how men smell and are terrible over and over again. With, with no variation, really by the way. No variation, the exact same lines. I was like, okay, y'all have the budget to write new lines. Like, come on. And that raises a lot of questions. Like, where do these children come from then? Is there some sort of like like field where they're just growing small ninja girls? Is there like a horrifying panty raid situation going on? Is this like, are parents just abandoning their children to the local ninja school? Like it's a nunnery from the 1800s. Where are these children coming from? So there's that. Secondly, what did the men do to make the women, the grown women, hate them so much? Because all we get about the men is that they just kind of practice over in a neighboring field. We literally have no background on why these men in this universe are so awful. Which brings us to the third thing. Tsubaki, she of the mega mind size forehead, is starting to gain, like, boy craziness. Yeah. Now, so remembering how I grew up, I became boy crazy when I was actually presented with boys in my tween years. How does she feel these things if she's never seen a man, does not know what they look like, only knows the same canned lines about how bad they are, has no perception of what a man could be. That would be like if I was to sit down with all of you now and be like, you know, I think I'm in love with a new form of octopi that lives underneath the surface of the ocean that no one has seen. How would I know that? What, what, or how did I come across this information? Why am I having feelings for something that does not have a physical or mental representation to me? Like, that's just kind of how attractions form. You have to be exposed to things. Right. Like, and it would be one thing if she was just in love with the concept of something forbidden, 
which is a concept that would work, but it's specifically not that. It's not that she is Ariel who wants to see a human being because that's fascinating to her. And the first time she sees a human being, she falls in love with him, like in The Little Mermaid. Subaki has no fucking clue what a man looks like. And is still like, oh, man. It's like, what? <laughs> For all she knows, yes. men have three heads and breathe fire. Like, she's like, oh, I'm into flamethrowers, though. It's like, no, how would you know this? To be clear, we're ragging on this one plot element. But the universe does not explain this at all. Right. No. About this. And... These girls are like, yeah, where the hell do these girls keep coming from? They're not like cicadas, like popping out of the ground every 17 years or something. They have to come somewhere. I know a lot of times I will say that I can't judge the show for what it is because it doesn't interest me. So I have to judge it for, I have to judge the show for what it gives me because I'm not interested in what it's trying to be. Like when we talk about like the pornier ones where it's like, well, this is not interesting to me as porn and its plot is terrible. I think right. this kind of falls into a similar area where it's very obvious that the show is not meant for children. Like if this was a children's show, I think I could give it some leeway because it feels in some degrees like it should have been a children's show. Like if this was, I'm not saying that children's show should be stupid, but these are kind of things you can overlook if the idea is to just do like a silly kids comedy like no one's questioning where ed and Nettie's parents are like there are things you can kind of skip past for a show meant for like like younger teens but this show is so aggressively grossly sexual that it's clearly not for children there are literal bottle-headed tiny incest twins in the third episode which is basically when i threw my hands up and like i'm fucking done i'm out like you know when (laughs) In Steven Universe, when Kevin realizes that Stevani is two kids fused together, and he just goes, that's two kids, I'm out! That was basically it. I was like, I'm not <laughs> I'm not watching this show any longer. I remember when you told me that part, I was like, oh, I'm sure it's not that bad. And then, like, the first line of dialogue, it's like, oh, done, call the police, call Child Protective Services, get these two out of here, bye. Who is this show for, then? Like, like that's the thing I kept coming back to. Like, it's really creepy and gross in it, it with the sexuality of the characters themselves not the plot point of her being in love with dudes just the way it presents these small ninja girls is very gross and very sexual plot so i would assume aimed at fucking creepy ass adult but then we've got the very juvenile setup for the show which suggests it's meant for younger kids so too and then the kind of stabs at universal comedy which suggests they're kind of going for just like, it's very, very strange. It's a very strange show. I don't think this should have been made. Aside from people who are like, again, just fucking creeps. I don't know who would be interested in this. I just really don't. Like, if you're looking for an intellectual exercise, it's bankrupt. There's like, unless there's a twist in like episode five where she's a fucking robot or something, which (laughs) would would make it fun but is not helpful in any way. Unless there's some sort of twist where it's like, oh no, it turns out she has seen men before and that's driven her love of them and and the rest of the people actually know this and they're trying to cover it up or something along those lines, like maybe, but the show also seems very uninterested in interrogating that because like the first three episodes are a lot of like terrible Azumanga Dio sequence ripoffs. Like right. it's just, 
I don't know. This the show is awful. It's hard to say <laughs> if this is worse than Lolly Ghost Corporate nonsense or not, but it's they're both bad in the same way. Except Kunoichi Subaki also makes no sense. From what I was trying to gather with this show, it's trying to be like that moment in time when of uh, tweens becoming teens and like becoming like, oh, maybe I am interested in the other gender or or the same gender or whatever. And it's like trying to be one of those like 80s teen comedies, I guess, just with the whole like because there's a female an all-female school of ninjas and an all-male school of ninjas. And if that's what it was, like they actually had the men or the boys and such in the show, fine. It would have been like another mediocre ninja show, but fine. But yeah, they at Cloverworks, you need to like find projects that aren't super creepy or for a chunk of its runtime, super creepy. This isn't as like fetishy looking as like a cabbie sailor uniform. And that show is actually gets better, but it still just revels in its creepiness that we talked about in the winter episode. This one, it's like, it's not as instantly recognizable until you start realizing just how little clothes everyone wears, the exposed torsos, the preteens, the exposed shirts. The art style also does this absolutely no favors. They look look younger than they are. Exactly. It has the same visual assault. Again, it's the same person who made Teasing Master Tagaki-san. And that works. That's a realistic, grounded rom-com about a preteen duo like falling for one another. That's fine. It doesn't work when you try to put them in fetishy outfits or whatever anime likes to define what ninja attire was. Because if we're going by realistic ninjas, all of these kids will be dead. <laughs> they would get spotted instantly and taken out. But yeah, there's nothing there's not much else. The comedy's not very funny. The Animation, even by Cloverwork standards, it's not great. I don't think it's their best work. I think a lot of their best resources went into the upcoming second season of Shadow's House and into Spy X Family, which is obviously the best show ever. So, <laughs> uh, Mike, do you have anything to add? I watched this show after seeing early in the weekend Alex Garland's new film, Men. So, while I was watching this, this show gave me so little in terms of like substance, in terms of world building. The characters are all just a bunch of nothing that I let my imagination run wild. So when they were describing men as like, you know, stinky, bad, the worst, I was just imagining, spoilers if you, if you haven't seen the movie, the third act of men gets very far out there. I was just imagining, you know, the people in the other school just being like horrible, like disfigured abominations. That's the thing. Like the show that I was imagining was far more interesting than anything happening on screen. So no, I was not having a good time with this. No. So who wants to hear the dumb twist about why the men are separated from the women in this show. Oh, God, what is it? <laughs> I kind of posted this in well, my right. Facebook group. They can't beat that he's a robot from the post-apocalypse. But... Oh, no. At least that one is bonkers, and it's hilarious how bonkers it is. 
this one is dumb. It just adds on to the world building nonsense of there is no world building. Basically, the head ninja of the group is telling them like, hey, this is why we don't have men here. This is why you should avoid them. Back in the day, men and women used to be ninjas and kick butt and all that stuff. And then one day, they found attraction to one another. And they kept eloping to be together and away from all this ninja nonsense. Which, if this was like how ninja life was, I'd probably want to find as many times and ways to elope as possible, if this is the case. And so that means the more they elope, the less ninjas we had. So we made a vow to separate one another so you couldn't see each other. It's like, mm-hmm. what? Which begs the question, why do they need ninjas? Where are the ninjas what? coming from? Where are the ninjas coming from? Why is a ninja shortage a bad thing? Also, that's weirdly wholesome. Like that just makes the leader come like come off like a really frigid bitch. No offense, which is kind of misogynistic in its own way. Right. No, and it's weird. It's like, why is that the twist? What, like, what? What's the point? You expect at least that, like, the men burn down their camp or something. The way they're talking about it. I know it's. It is so bizarre. This show is so weird. It's one of the worst of the season. Probably one of the worst of the year so far. Pro- not as bad as Rusted Armors, but pretty much there. So let's move on to the last one. We're going to get through this because the last of the three shows are actually pretty good. So let's talk about RPG Real Estate, which is on Crunchyroll. Content warning. Again, the show sexualizes underage characters. Stop doing that, anime. Anyway, what is also about the spring season that brings us fantasy house hunting anime? It's based off of a four-panel manga by Chio Kimotsu. It's directed by Tomoaki Koshida. It's written by Yoshiko Nakamura and produced by Doga Kobo. (sighs) The story begins 15 years after the Demon King was defeated and the world has become peaceful. Kotone, who graduated from school and became a magician, inquired about the kingdom-affiliated RPG real estate in order to find a new home. In reality, RPG real estate was Kotone's place of employment. And together with Fa, a demi-human, the priest Rufuria, and the soldier Rakira, they helped support the searches of new homes for the customers with various circumstances. Okay, first off, again, the super overly cute designs. Very childlike. It's very creepy. They try to avoid that with the characters being adults. Well, three out of the four being adults of the main cast. Doesn't work. The outfits are silly and absurd with how revealing and just dumb they look. Two, if you want to know who gets the worst of the sexualization, it's the demi-human, the dragon girl. Her one shtick is that she doesn't like to wear clothes. And you better find that funny because that's her only stick outside of being the dumb mm. one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's not funny. It's like, and what sucks is this is the best one of the three that we at least it has the housing uh, angle to go off of with how you should 
Like, don't think of what you would like in a house. Think of what they would like for a house or just like how living living situations are. There's a lot of cool stuff. Good luck sitting through too much moe cuteness and weird amount of undress throughout three of the episodes. I gave up after three episodes. I was just like, I'm done. Bye. Haley, what did you think? So I gave up after two. Yeah, I somehow <laughs> managed to watch all of these sexy baby anime in separate times. Thank God. Because if I watched these all in a row, I think I would have just given up on watching everything else. I do agree that this one is marginally the best one. But I feel like it's the worst of these like video game inspired settings plus cute girls doing cute things anime all kind of packaged into one. Like the world building in this is tremendously lazy. Like to the point where people are just identifying each other by their RPG class. It's a level of shorthand that's almost insulting to the intelligence. I also think that this really suffers because we already have Dragon Ghost House Hunting, which takes a lot of those tropes and like those video game shorthands and makes them fairly entertaining at the very least, even if they're falling into the same kinds of like world building traps, they're at least trying to do something with it. And our lead dragon character was really entertaining. Our lead girl's biggest personality traits are being very kind and tits. So it's not a whole lot to hook on into. I also think this suffers from, normally this only shows up in like isekai, but there's some real kind of dumbass classism and explaining things to people that shouldn't need to be explained to them. Like, I think saying that it, I, I think it's being a little generous to say that this has interesting things to say about the housing market. Uh, well, it, to be I fair, think, it tries to have an interesting yeah. thing. It's, it just yeah. doesn't go far enough. Yeah. Like one of the things in the second episode is that a woman is having trouble letting out her mansion. And the solution is renting rooms to a bunch of people. And I'm just like, Y'all never tried this before? (laughs) Are you kidding me? Same with when the hero comes in to rent a house and they just keep showing her like really fancy shit. Like after the first fancy house, you should have realized that wasn't what she wanted. Like even when you watch HGTV and these people are like, they've got like 3 million plus budgets. They're not showing them all beach houses on the West Coast. Like that's just bad business when you're a realtor. And this company has evidently been in business long enough to have huge piles of listings. Like, they should know this. It's supposed to make our new lead come off as like, oh, she's going to help change this business. She's so smart. And what it really comes off as is, wow, how did RPG real estate not go under years ago? Because everyone (laughs) working it is a dumbass. And then you combine that with gross-ass fan service of people that look like tiny children bobbleheads, which... I don't want to dwell on this because I feel like we've We've literally dwelled on it with the other two. It's all the fetishy stuff is gross. Like the best animated part of the first two episodes is literally when the lead character is taking off her shirt in the second episode and her boobs jiggle in like 24 frames per second. And I was just like, this is just, oh God. And this one also, like, I didn't mention it in Subaki. But there is a possessive lesbian in Subaki. But none of the other shows we've talked about really have like a straight guy fetishizing lesbians vibe nearly as much as this show. Like it was deeply uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Like 
they're clearly a supernatural level of queer baiting going on in this show. And also just because of the general graphicness of the fan service just makes it even more uncomfortable than it would be. Like there's so much like, let me sleep with you in your bed. Let me borrow your clothes. Oh no, your clothes are too tight. It's like, am I watching Pornhub? Like what the, what is this turning into? This is ridiculous. And so that's what I mean when I say it staples like the worst parts of cute girls doing cute things and the video game anime ripoffs together. It's like, it's cute girls doing cute things in like the creepiest way possible. There's nothing soothing about this. I can't imagine being like, oh, I really like Yuru Camp. I'd be like, no, you should not watch this. And if someone was like, oh, I really like Far Away Paladin, I'm like, no, you shouldn't watch this. Like, it's there's it much looks- better shows to watch, and there are better shows about a group of girls doing something that's not as queer baiting and what have you. And yeah, like- it's better than the other two by virtue of it like having you know like some plot propulsion (sighs) like being there being some things where like people are clothed right but it's that's like the bar is on the floor at that point you know oh i think it's six feet under (laughs) (laughs) Uh, someone called james cameron (laughs) raise the bar oh lordy uh mike do you have anything to add basically just gonna echo the same thing that has been said before my experience was watching all three of these in a row which was not the greatest idea because by the time I got to RPG real estate it does have at least like a more interesting hook but that's all it has fan service was just too much the cuteness was just too much. Episode two in particular is when like the fan service kind of at least goes out of control. Yeah. So if you watch this and were just too uncomfortable with the second episode and bailed, I would completely understand. These three shows in a row was not a fun experience. No, it's not. It's not a great show. Just go watch Dragon Goes House Hunting if you want a show that's about fantasy house hunting i'm super shocked hgtv has not made something akin to that (laughs) just even if it's all fake and nonsense it would be at least be fun and creative but they probably wouldn't have the budget for it so let's talk about the uh, i guess one of the better comedies of the season kind of depends on how it goes don't hurt me my healer it's based off of the manga by Tanen Ni Hako. It's directed by Nobuaki Nakanishi. It's written by Fumihiko Shimo, and it's produced by Jumondu. A fantasy and adventure comedy starring Carla, a dark elf cleric who invests too much in her insulting skills, and Alvin, a swordsman who has to put up with her antics. That's the plot. It's just a very duo comedy-based premise that just happens to be set in a fantasy world where Alvin just wants to be a big hero. He has a healer with him and yet the healer is the worst. And at first I was like, oh, I think people are kind of harsh on this show. I mean, all things considered what we've just talked about. But I get why this one's kind of like you either love it or you hate it. It's definitely like you have to like the type of characters these two are and you have to like that kind of comedy where it's just One of them is saying something kind of stupid and the other one reacts angrily at it, sometimes to 
un- understandable and sometimes to a comedic degree. Haley, what did you think about this? I think for what this is, it's very well done. If you like the sense of humor of this, I don't think you're going to get a better show like this than this show. It's very well animated. It's very creatively animated. The characters are very vibrant. They're full of life. There's a lot of showing, not telling, which is fantastic. I just was not into this sense of humor of this show. I did watch all three episodes because I thought found it to be getting better with each episode. But this isn't something I'm going to pick up again afterwards. Like one of the notes I made in episode three is this is definitely getting funnier as I get to know the characters. And I right. think that's kind of like its big problem is like, if you don't buy into the, find these characters too annoying to be funny, the whole illusion kind of falls apart. And I think there's not a lot of it, but there is a definite reliance on screaming as a joke, which is something that I just like, if the joke is not funny when you just say it, it's not going to be funny when you scream it. But there's a lot of fun visual stuff going on in this show. Like I really liked the gag. I think it's in episode one where we never see Alvin's face. It's always blocked by something in the foreground or another character. Like, that's a fun way to poke fun at the fact that you've got kind of a generic everyman fantasy dude as your lead. The overly long titles for each episode are also extremely funny. Like, just really taking this out of this kind of light novel-y universe. But for me, like, like, it's fun. It's hard when something just isn't for you. Right. Like to review it. I'm like, there's nothing wrong with this. If I knew someone was into these kinds of shows, I would wholeheartedly recommend this because it's for a comedic anime. It does have gags that I genuinely laughed at. The characters are fun. There's not a whole lot of anime bullshit aside from, you know, generic European fantasy fantasy setting, which honestly I think is just annoying because we watch so much anime and it's just the kind of like the shorthand for this now. I don't think that would bother someone who doesn't watch a whole lot of anime. This is very good at what it does. It's yeah. well animated in a lot of respects too, which is interesting for a studio I've never heard of. I think they did a good job. The only real super critique I have beyond the sense of humor just didn't gel with me super well is the theme song with its weird spoiler inset imagery is very strange. Like, I've never seen an opening theme that is actively spoiling huge parts of his show. Like, that is just very odd. But, you know, if you watch the first episode and it's on your wavelength, you'll probably love this. Like, it's well done. There's no real dips in quality. But if you watch the first episode and you're like, "Eh, that wasn't super for me. It does get better, but it's probably not going to get to be for you. You gotta really like the two characters and the antics. And we'll talk more about it uh Teresa what did you think yeah this one was just okay for me probably is the humor um I just found it very silly like just overly silly I do absolutely love the bear and the little burrow I thought that was great I think I just don't like elephant probably I don't think I'm supposed to so it doesn't it's not like a drawback because they're always basically taking the piss out of him so if if you like that kind of running gag all the time of like bickering this is for you i thought the mushroom fight was extremely silly but i love mushrooms in general anyway so i just really liked the animation of that it was watchable for me but it was just really not a hook for me to be like yeah i'm gonna like sit down and watch this after you know spy x family like it just didn't gel for me quite but i thought you know the animation was fine i think maybe 
I haven't watched enough of the anime in this to get like all the jokes of the titles, but I just, yeah, it just came off kind of like uh, silly and, you know, if especially watching them back to back, I was like, maybe I need to break it up. I would come over to it a little bit more. Mike, what did you think? Once I figured out that this was less of an adventure anime and more of a comedy, I think I started to get into it a little bit more because it just is my sense of humor. If you're a big Abbott and Costello fan, who also happens to be an otaku, then this show might just be exactly what you're looking for. The buddy dynamic between uh, the hero and the healer is very silly, especially with the episode with the mushroom fight. The antics are just kind of chaotic. It definitely reminded me of, in high school, I used to be in a lot of D&D campaigns that just went completely off the rails. This really brought me back to that era. I had a lot of fun with these first three episodes. I don't know if I'm going to ever actually go back and finish the series but if you're into something light with a silly sense of humor i think i can comfortably recommend this one i mean like for example one of the better jokes of episode one was the old bear accidentally strikes alvin down and carla the the elf heals him and yeah like while alvin's like you never see alvin's face throughout any of the episodes that's the entire joke and they're just like, I'm so sorry, Alvin. We did all that we could. We just couldn't make you prettier. You just look so ugly and so sad. And he's just like, guys, this is what I look like. It's fine. And they're like, no, it's impossible. We're so sorry. We failed you. And he's like, no, it's fine. Or like Alvin falls into a pit trap. And he's just like, Carla, help me. I fell into a trap. Carla takes like a good five seconds before it's like, Oh no, you idiot. <laughs> to, to, to tell him. And then it's just like, I gotta get out of here. This is what goblins use to trap poor adventurers and such. And then Carla's like, hold on, I'll get some rope or something. She comes back with the goblin. It's like, this is the goblin that d- dug the hole. <laughs> and the goblin's just crying. It's like, I just dug the hole to get a boar. I'm so sorry. Like, don't be mad at me. And it's just like, oh, <laughs> and it's like the monsters in this universe are really nice. <laughs> they they are willing to just like pause for a moment to stop the fighting and such, like the bear. Though, so if I had to say my favorite I, joke, I think it's in the second episode when they encounter a cyclops. Oh, and, yeah, that was good. And Carla's like, I can summon monsters. So then she makes a paper airplane, shoots it into the sky. And they get into another argument of Alvin and Alvin's looking at the Cyclops and he's like, hold on for a second. Can you give, give us a moment? And the Cyclops is like, yeah, no worries. And then the paper airplane comes back. It opens up and it says, I can't be summoned right now. I'm watching my kids. It's <laughs> like, oh, Lordy. It has its moments. You kind of have to be with it. And if you aren't, that's fine. This is at least a comedy that's actually funny. And actually, the best gag were when they were encountering ghosts. She was just like, I'll make sure these ghosts go to heaven. And it's all by making them sound how much better their lives were compared to Alvin. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's kind of sucks for Alvin. But the ghosts are like, oh, man, I, man, I died horribly. I just met my, the girl of my dreams and I died. Well, this guy doesn't have a girlfriend. Whoa, my life was better. I'd recommend it definitely not over these next two but if you need something to watch something very lightweight but gets the job done yeah 
check out Don't Hurt Me, My Healer. But now we must watch and talk about the best high dive anime of the season. It's your boy, Koming. Insert your oh, know, shit, oh, what shit, up? what up? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is based off of the manga by Yuto Yotsuba. It's directed by Shu Honma. It's written by Yoko Yonayama and produced by PA Works, who did that Aquatope on White Sand anime summer season. Hyuhei Kongming earned a reputation as one of the greatest tacticians of the Three Kingdoms period of 3rd century China. Having led his army through countless grueling victories, Kongming falls gravely ill during the Battle of Wuzhang Plains. The weariness and regret stemming from the seemingly never-ending war catches up to him, and as he draws his final breath, Kongming wishes that if he were to reincarnate, he would be reborn in a more peaceful era. His wish comes true and Kong Ming wakes up in modern day Tokyo with a younger body and his memories intact. Thrust into an unfamiliar world, he finds his way into a nightclub and meets Eiko Tsukimi, an aspiring singer whose performance immediately captivates him. Pitying his confusion, Eiko takes Kong Ming under her wing and teaches him about the current world, which leads to Kong Ming's interest in contemporary music. Seeing Aiko's immense musical potential, Kongming vows to make the world recognize her and soon take on the role of her manager. Unsurprisingly, the music industry is unforgiving to those who make even the slightest mistakes. Still, Kongming is determined to accomplish his goals, even if he must utilize the war stratagems he famously used in his previous life. So, biggest surprise of the season? I would say so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Teresa, what did you think? Yeah, easily best of the category for me. It was highly recommended outside this group, so I was already looking forward to it. I thought the animation was so on point. Just the outfits and like the contrasting of the time. Finally, Isekai I can get behind. I just really love the music. First and foremost was amazing. I just thought like, you know, getting really into like how you make a, a just a person successful in the strategy and all that. It sounds like it would be boring but they make it really funny and unexpected it's very like the reveal that happens in the second and the third episodes that i really loved i also just love how he just describes her music and just it's beautiful it'll bring happiness to everyone who listens just give her a chance that's what he wants to do is giving her a chance so i just thought that was good i also think the manager is who's like very touchedly like watching out for her is great he's ruthless and i just like you know all the characters just really bring something very interesting to it so i could i could just watch the rest of that season right now so i really liked it yeah i definitely want to rewatch it after uh this podcast and such uh Haley, what did you think yeah this show is really really great this is the kind of like old school isekai that they should be making more of honestly this feels like it was based on a 90s shoujo manga aside from the jokes about like the blockchain and i'll be honest what is the blockchain was the hardest laugh i had at anything this season 100 percent. yeah the greatest joke of the season oh a hundred percent i think that this show i'm notably pretty harsh on idol shows just because i'm pretty familiar with that subculture Mm -hmm. and i think this show does a great job of like sidestepping a lot of issues that most idol shows have by one making our lead Aiko just an independent artist basically she is trying to just always trying to come up on the club scene and do tours and it's 
So we're divorced from like the follow your dreams in the corporate setting kind of vibe that a lot of these idol shows have. And it also allows it to be realistic in a way you don't see in a lot of idol shows. It's like, this is about the grind of getting out there, putting your name out there, getting followers on social media, using management tactics to get people to listen to you. It's really interesting that the leads of this show are a woman with a lot of talent who's just not the greatest at marketing herself and a very famous strategist who admittedly cannot succeed fully if Aiko is not at the top of her game. So there's a symbiosis to them that works really well. I also really like the aggressive bar owner character that is aggressively protecting Aiko as well. I really like also when her uh, musical shows put a lot of effort into their music. Like you can tell very quickly why Kong Ming is very interested in Aiko's music. Her voice is fantastic. And I don't think there's a dub for this. This feels like a show that probably shouldn't have a dub. Agreed. Although I said that about Zombieland Saga and the dub works really well in that. So who knows? But her voice is really pure and interesting, but you can see where she needs the marketing push that Kong Ming is giving her. I also think when they introduce Mia in episode two, just hearing like a snippet of Mia's voice makes it very clear why Mia is very famous in this club setting. Like they do a really good job of differentiating the different bands and singers that come through. There's a couple like minor quibbles I have with this show. And one of them is that we don't hear a Jet Jacket song. We're just kind of told what Jet Jacket sounds like. And they clearly are trying to position them as like green, kind of like official Hige Donbism, but we don't hear them sing. So it's like, we don't know what Aiko is up against. So I think episode three is kind of the weakest one because of that, of the three that I watched, but it's a minor thing. The other thing that could become a major problem if the whole show is like this is it's very episode of the week. It's very... Oh no, Aiko has encountered a problem. She is at X event and she needs to get Y done. How will Kong Ming strategize to help Aiko? It's a fun ass show. Like I'm not saying that this is bad for the three episodes I watched. I can see this getting very stale very quick if that's what every episode is. And it doesn't seem like it will be. It seems like they have greater aspirations than that. There's a bunch of characters in the opening theme, like the the girl group Azalea, which I'm very interested in seeing what they're like. Some other male and female characters, they hint that the the, the Ico superfan who records all of her events is going to become a major player. So it seems like they're going to branch out of Kong Ming saves the day and gets Ico more fans fairly quickly now, if not in the next episode that I didn't watch. There's a risk to a show like this being this episodic, I think. It can feel like it just stagnates, which is like, you don't want it to do that. And it would still be very pleasant if it even did that. But this feels like a show that has ambitions for more than that. So I just don't want it to get stuck in that rut. But otherwise, this is a really fantastic show. Definitely worth recommending. Also very surprisingly easy to get into, despite me knowing nothing about the historical underpinnings of it, which was, I think, is very impressive for a show like this, too. Right, right. I think they're starting to have an overarching plot because the third episode puts Kong Ming in like a self-realizing, self-identifying kind of like, who are you? 
as an individual. And that's what a lot of this story is. It's finding out who you are as a musician and as a person. And because it's like, Kongmin is like smart. He knows his plans can work. But like, why is he doing it? Why use this plan? Why is he doing this? Who is he doing it for? And I like that the overprotective uh, bar or manager is like a huge Three Kingdoms nerd. (laughs) I think that's a very cute twist on the otaku formula fanboy side of things. Mike, what did you think? Oh yeah, this is top five material. I know it seems a little bit obvious for me because, you know, a show about music will instantly get my attention. But unlike the thousands of idol multimedia projects, this one actually has a heart and soul and it puts a very interesting spin on the whole fish out of water concept with Kong Ming being essentially zapped into the future in a younger body, but still wearing the outfit of Kong Ming. The first episode kind of gets all of those like fish out of water tropes out of the way. The fact that he happens to wake up on Halloween night. So everyone around him just thinks like, oh, he's in a costume. But that's just merely set up to get him into the bar to meet Aiko. And then that's when the story really gets going. And I found this very wholesome too, the relationship that he has with Aiko. He has really no other purpose except he heard Aiko singing and he's like, that's the most beautiful thing I ever heard. I need to show everyone this. That's pretty much what the next like two episodes are. It is really fun seeing all of his uh, stratagems applied to, you know, a modern situation. I think my favorite of the two is in episode two. He has like all of the exits blocked off so that everyone is focused on the stage. I thought the way they did that was pretty clever. I do share the one nitpick about episode three. I just would have loved to hear even like 30 seconds of what what are they called jet jackson jet oh jacket. jet jacket jet um, jackson was the tv show from the disney channel when i was growing up that's right <laughs> but yeah i would have liked to hear at least like a snippet of one of their songs but again in the grand scheme of things that's like a minor nitpick overall this is fantastic and i could easily recommend this to anyone right no, it's just a great show. And they do expand upon the relationship between Kong Ming and our lead female protagonist. So the story is going to head to places. So that's a, always a good thing to see. And I think PA Works is one of those studios that they're kind of like Keo Annie. They don't just make five shows a year because, because they're not MAPPA. They pick and choose what they want to adapt. And they take their time with it, which is why, you know, we only saw like one show from them last year with the Aquanotes. And of course, the music's great. Just it's all good. Just one of the best shows of the season and and has the possibility of being one of the year's best shows. And I hope it does. But now let's get to the last show this season. I know this was a long one. I apologize. Aha Ren is Indecipherable, which is on Crunchyroll. This is based off of the manga by Asato Mizu. It's directed by Yatsutaka Yamamoto and Tomo Makino. It's written by Takao Yoshioka and produced by Felix Film. Beginning his first year of high school, all Matsuboshi Raido wants is to make friends. 
starting with cute, tiny, and soft-spoken Reina Aharen, who sits right next to him in class. Unbeknownst to Raido, Reina shares the same sentiment, but she has a problem. Awkward and timid, Reina is incapable of determining how chummy she has to be when approaching a person. Due to Reina's complete inability to gauge personal space, the two struggle to spark their unlikely friendship. Even the simplest takes, like talking, seems impossible for them. But despite the countless yet pointless challenges that hinder the pair, the, the overly imaginative Rido will do whatever it takes to befriend the indecipherable Reina. So, is this just, you know, Comey can't communicate 2.0? <laughs> Because this is exactly the same vibes mm-hmm. that this show gives off. Very cute, very wholesome, very just progressive and open show as well. I mean, we'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, Teresa, what did you think? Yeah, I thought it was cute. I immediately thought the same about Comey. I was like, oh, here we are. I did watch the dub. So I like kind of the level of the voices in the dub and the contrast between the two characters. And it just really paid off on the humor. In this case, their banter, because they weren't really arguing, but the banter between the characters just immediately, I thought, gelled. You know, he's trying, I feel like sometimes he's overly trying to please um, Haran, but in the long run, it comes off. First episode, really solid. Second episode was really funny but the threatening lesbian um trope is back and she's a little intense a little too intense uh again with the boob sweater not not getting a bad trope and why why we need it at all but i really thought it was a great job really love kind of just like (laughs) i didn't think you know changing homeroom chairs you know where you sit i think i remind me back they did that probably was a big ass deal and it did seem like the end of the world so i just thought that kind of running joke in that episode was really spot on how like the small stuff can in your head be a big thing and then end up probably not being a big thing at all now this show does a good job with its humor it's probably the most consistently funny show outside of spy x family of the season i love when like uh aharin comes in i was about to call her comey <laughs> comes in with her hair just standing all straight up and of course, Rido just goes to the most bizarre like scenario of like, maybe she's into death metal and such. And she's been doing like the head banging and such. <laughs> yeah. That shows a sign of rebellion. And she's just like, no, I just woke up with bedhead and couldn't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. Or she comes in another day, is super rough looking. And he's like, oh no, he's super buff and beats the tar out of people. And she's like, no, I had something in my eye and I just kept walking in the the things it's okay don't worry about it Haley. what did you think uh i loved this i thought this was fantastic this definitely i did write a note that was like this is an obvious comey ripoff but it's still very compelling yeah i think the only part of the show i'm not super into is oshori she's too on the line of of the possessive lesbian trope despite the show doing generally a pretty good job of not falling into those kinds of tropes. Like it's almost like the show purposely introduces things so that it can fat away the idea that it's being tropey. Like I was dreading one of the segments has this huge thing that Aharon is incapable of putting eye drops in. And I was like, Oh boy, this is going to turn into some really gross sexualized nonsense. No, she's just fucking terrible at putting things in her eyes and her face is just covered in eye drops in like a non-sexy, very comedically stupid way. 
And then it comes back up again when she used to put like moisturizer on her face. It just looks like a yeah. complete idiot. And I was like, <laughs> another show would have made this really uncomfortable. Made this right. like, oh, it looks like cum. <laughs> but it's yeah. not, no, the joke is always that oh, Ren is indecipherable. And Rido is also almost just as indecipherable. I think that really helps the show a lot because the humor is coming not from where an anime watcher would expect it to come from. Like there are actual natural gags happening here. Uh, one character I wish we saw more was Rido's little sister, who is like yes. the most gremlin ass human being I've ever <laughs> seen in an anime like this. The show is just very funny. I found myself laughing a lot. It's hard for me to laugh at anime. Like a lot of times anime is not funny. Yeah. But this is genuinely extremely funny. And I also think what contributes to how funny it is, is Rido and Aharon have a good chemistry, but it's a good friendly chemistry. You know, like, I think what differentiates this from Comey is that there's always an undercurrent of romantic tension between Comey and the guy yeah. whose name is escaping me. I always forget the dude's names. I don't know why. Undercurrent of romantic tension between Comey and him in the whole show. And there's not really that, like, it's marketed like it's supposed to be a romantic comedy. But there's never really that undercurrent of romantic comedy in Aharen. No one really seems to be seriously actually interested in anyone else. Like, even with Oshori's kind of possessiveness of Aharen, it doesn't feel like she actually wants to be with Aharen. It feels like she just wants to protect her. So it makes it a little more easygoing, and it's easier to kind of get into these characters because you're not sitting there the whole time going, oh, will they or won't they? It's like, no, they're going to be fucking idiots together. And you can rely on that. And they're going to be idiots in compelling and fun ways. They make a great odd couple. <laughs> I think the note, that, the note that best sums up my experience with this is, lol, I love this dumb light show. <laughs> and that's it. Like, there's not a whole lot to this show. You're either going to like it or you're not. It's wonderful in that kind of, like, wacky Azumanga Daio Nichijo sort of way. No, it's a very universally funny show. I think it works exceptionally well. And yeah, their dynamic is very platonic. I'm sure they're going to have some romance interest maybe as the show goes on. I watched up to episode six. And, but it nothing really changes. It's just really what kind of antics can these two slightly stupid people get into. And I like that the whole running gag of Rido being like people say I look mean or even worse so I'm gonna put on a smile and it's like <laughs> barely anything different about him <laughs> there's a moment later in the show where he's just like they try to do that whole thing of like oh you should smile more aha rent which you know one of the scummiest things you can tell a woman is that you should smile more we don't need that nonsense anymore but he's like here, I'll teach you everything I know. I'm great at smiling. And he has that look the whole time. He his face doesn't change. I think something that makes the show really successful is that Rido, like he's supposed to be our quote unquote straight man, but he is also just otherworldly incompetent. They're complete idiots. Like you they get are. the sense that they don't interact with a whole lot of people because no one wants to interact with them. Yeah, yeah. So they do the whole smiling thing. She learns how to smile, though. He gets the photos into, okay, here's a before and after photo. We'll see how much you've changed. 
five second pause to look at the two photos. Nothing has changed. <laughs> and then, of course, I shared the clip with y'all with the rap battle thing, which is very funny. Mike, what did you think? So one way you can easily tell that a comedy anime is working is if my face starts to hurt from smiling the whole time. The joke that really killed it for me, aside from the like the death metal joke, which had which like dying was when Oshiro is giving Reina the haircut. They show a montage of like all these different shonen protagonists. <laughs> and I just lost it from there. Even though it is very obvious that this is like coming directly off the heels, well, allegedly off the heels of Komi can't communicate, at least it does a good job of being exactly that. You know, they say imitation is like the highest form of flattery. So if you like Comey Can't Communicate, want more of that, you should definitely check this out. On Wikipedia, this category is under romantic comedy. So there will probably be a more developed romance later on. We just haven't seen it yet because we're only... As of now, it's there are eight episodes and the manga has been ongoing since like 2017. So if there is romance, we'll probably see it eventually. Oh, well, one thing this show actually does super well, shout out to not sexualizing the female characters of this show. Oh my God, yes. That, yeah, is, that, is, immediately, that is immediately a positive. In episode, I think it's six, they do the whole like the swim class thing. It's like, oh boy, here we go. And you see Aharin with like an inner tube and basically full on scuba gear. And then Raido is just like, you know, you probably don't need all of that. And she's like, okay. She takes it all off. It's just a normal school uniform, nothing out of the ordinary. And you find out that the two of them can't swim. They also introduce another family member of Aharin where she has a younger brother. And it's funny how you find this out spoilers for this episode Rido goes up to like the uh the claw game that you see in the first episode and thinks aha wrench right there and then he finds out that like this i super identical looking aha ren is not the aha ren he knows and he's just like what's going on here is this like an evil twin are there clones and then aha ren's just like oh you met my little brother and the little brother is like dressed up in her whole attire and yet the joke is never that the brother is wearing like girl's clothes. Just that he looks identical. Yeah. And they have a little really super sweet and wholesome post credit scene where they show the brother in Aharin's room checking out and trying on other clothes. And Aharin is super supportive of that. And it's like, oh my gosh, we might have like one of the few LGBT representations in this freaking season that's actually like really wholesome and not a punchline this is just a great show i love it this might be one of my favorite shows ever of anime and with that we are done with part one let's do a top three for right now we'll do a top five when we get to part two mike what would your top three be all right first i'll say my honorable mentions are dawn of the witch and don't hurt me my healer so Number three, I would say The Executioner and Her Way of Life. Number two is going to be Ya Boy, Kong Ming. And then number one, 
Spy X Family. Haley, what are your top three? So I think my first is Spy X Family. It would be for two and three, it'd be between your boy Kunming and Ahar and Son. I think my honorable mention would be Dawn of the Witch. I think my honorable mention would be The Executioner and Her Way of Life. I think if it didn't fumble a little of its really promising like first episode, it would be in the top three. But yeah, my three are Spy X Family, Aha Ren is Indecipherable, and your boy Kong Ming. Uh, <laughs> what up? <laughs> Sorry, I can't help it. <laughs> uh, Teresa, what were your top three be? Um, yeah, Spy X Family, uh, your boy Kong Ming, and um, I'm going to have to go with Dawn of the Witch, but that might be just because I'm, I really did like Grimoire Zero um, a, a lot more than all the other ones. Awesome. Yeah, I think, like, despite having to go through a lot of trash, a lot of (laughs) just trash, this season has a lot of good ones, and we'll get to those next time. Seriously, we probably have the best sports category I have ever seen (laughs) in anime. So next week, we have the other category, which is kind of the wild card. We got romance (laughs) and sports. This would be a fun one for sure. But for now, Haley, where can everyone not find you online? Don't find me. You cannot find me. Um, You still can't find me. Uh, I'm taking a long walk through a social media list wasteland. Um, I'm in the, uh, but I am in the Renegade Pop Culture Facebook group. uh, If you have questions for me. (laughs) And Teresa? Uh, you can find me at Teresa Electro on all social media platforms. And Cameron? You can find me on Twitter at Cam's Eye View. I run my own website called Cam's Biz, where I review animated films and shows from around the world called The Other Side of Animation. I have a Patreon at patreon.com slash Cam's View. If you like what I do, you can send support that way. And you guys can find me on Twitter at CaptainK42. You can check out my quick thoughts on letterbox.com slash CoachK42. And you can find me in all the various Facebook groups just at my name. You can check out Renegade Pop Culture on Facebook and Twitter at RenPopCulture. And now on YouTube. You can uh, check us out on Podchaser or the Banana Meter. Listen to all of our podcasts on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc., and last but not least, everything can be found at renegadepopculture.com. In escape, so do we. That'll do it for this episode of Renegade Animation. We will catch you guys later. Peace out. <laughs>